comes up to me and said, good morning, Marine. PFC Summer Volkman became a Marine. Can you? Visit Marines.com or call 1-800-MARINES. Would you let other people order for you? He'll have the samoldianese. No, I won't. So why let others make decisions about your older years? Do you want your kids or perfect strangers choosing where you'll live or how your money gets spent? Uh, no. Go to longtermcare.gov and find your own path forward. It takes you step-by-step through everything you need to consider about aging and all your options. Longtermcare.gov. Plan now to stay in charge or pay later. How about a mohawk? (laughs) Very funny. Doing federal taxes can be taxing, so Free File from the IRS does the hard work for you with brand-name tax software or online fillable forms, and it's free. So give yourself a break. Free File at freefile.irs.gov. At St. Jude, families never receive a bill for treatment, travel, housing, or food because the only thing a family should worry about is helping their child live. Because of you, there is St. Jude. Tokers and Tokets and non-toking lovers of liberty, it is Monday, November 23rd, 2015, and it's got to be 420 somewhere in the world. It is so good to be home. I am back at Rolla J Studios in beautiful legal potland, Oregon, after 11 days on the road. My first trip ever to a foreign country. Yeah, believe it or not. I'm approaching 48 years old, and this was my first ever trip outside of the United States. I went to Jamaica, man, and had a good time covering the High Times Cannabis Cup down there in Jamaica, as well as getting a good chance to look around in Negril and in Montego Bay, meeting a lot of the locals, checking out some of the sites. Oh, it was just a beautiful time. Uh, I'll have some of that audio up on my SoundCloud page, plus photos available through all my Radical Russ social media outlets once I get done unpacking all this data. Also, I left from Jamaica to Washington, D.C. I was in uh, Arlington, Virginia, the Crystal Gateway, Crystal City area by the Pentagon for the International Drug Reform Conference 2015. They hold this every two years. Last uh, was 2013 in Los Angeles. Next will be 2017 in Atlanta, Georgia. And my goodness, folks, what an amazing four days we had. It was the largest ever gathering of drug law reformers on the planet. They had finally, by the the end tally, over 1,600 people that attended this conference over the four-day span. And coming from 71 different countries, representatives from almost every continent except uh, Antarctica, I believe. So it was an amazing, comprehensive conference, and we're going to bring you some of that audio today on the show. Coming up in the Radical Rant segment at the end of the show, we're going to play for you uh, one of the greatest public speakers I've ever heard, Deborah Peterson Small from Break the Chain. She's one of the co-founders of that organization, and she makes the case... Uh, 
for changing our punitive drug laws, ending prohibition. She questions some of the framing around our drug laws. Her little point about three strikes was the talk of the conference. But also, she made a call for drug war reparations. That's right, reparations. She said it. And we're going to talk about that today on the show. We're going to talk about that in our Behind the Headlines segment and just ask the question, how would that work? How could reparations from the drug war benefit the African-American community that's been so devastated by the disproportionate enforcement of the drug prohibitions? So we'll talk about that. Also in drug war data mining today, we're going to take a look at polling for marijuana legalization in North America, Canada, the United States, and now a new poll coming out of Mexico. Also on the show, it is Monday. That means we get our regular visit with Dr. Mitch Earlywine in our cannabis Q&A segment. We'll take your live calls at 971-533-7111. If you've got any questions for the doctor on cannabis science, culture, history, or health, get that number ready. It's 971-533-7111. But of course, we start everything off with the cannabis radio news. We've got headlines coming to you from Alaska, from Florida, from Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania, from New York City, and from a tribe in Wisconsin. Then stay tuned for Hour 2, Toker Talk Radio. We take more live calls, give you our 420 daily Toker tune, and we're going to talk about, talk about white privilege, cops stealing more than the robbers, and was Ohio's legalization vote stolen? You're tuned into the Russ Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation. The son of a Polish immigrant who grew up in a Brooklyn tenement. He went to public schools, then college, where the work of his life began, fighting injustice and inequality, speaking truth to power. He moved to Vermont, won election and praise as one of America's best mayors. In Congress, he stood up for working families and for principle, opposing the Iraq war, supporting veterans. Now he's taking on Wall Street and a corrupt political system, funded by over a million contributions, tackling climate change to create clean energy jobs, fighting for living wages, equal pay, and tuition-free public colleges. People are sick and tired of establishment politics, and they want real change. Bernie Sanders, husband, father, grandfather, an honest leader, building a movement with you to give us a future to believe in. I'm Bernie Sanders, and I approve this message. Dr. Dagger, hurry! Its temperature is shooting past 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit. It's burning up! I'm afraid for this little guy, it's just too late. What caused the problem? Only Dr. Dabber can maintain the perfect temperature for a smooth-tasting, slower burn. This standard vaporizer lost all of its health benefits, sending it up in smoke. So you're telling me that most vapor pens burn so hot they produce smoke, not vapor? Correct! Keep away from those standard vaporizer pens and turn to Dr. Dabber, doctor's order. Less heat, <laughs> more flavor. It's time for the Cannabis Radio News, covering the latest headlines in consumer cannabis, medical marijuana, and industrial hemp. Cannabis Radio News is available exclusively through CannabisRadio.com in partnership with the Associated Press. Now, your marijuana headlines in 4 minutes and 20 seconds in the Cannabis Radio News. 
This is your Cannabis Radio News for Monday, November 23, 2015. The board tasked with writing rules for Alaska's recreational marijuana industry voted Friday to allow for people to use pot at certain stores that will sell it, a first among the four states that have legalized cannabis. The three to two vote by the Marijuana Control Board also changed the definition of the term in public to allow for consumption at some pot shops, none of which are open yet. Colorado, Washington, and Oregon have legalized recreational marijuana but ban its public use, including in pot stores. Voters last November passed the state's initiative legalizing recreational pot use by those 21 and older. The initiative banned public consumption but didn't define public. The board amended the definition to allow for consumption in a designated area at certain licensed pot stores. It had previously said it lacked the legal authority to create a type of license permitting public use. State health officials announced Monday that five Florida nurseries have been chosen to cultivate and distribute the first legal marijuana in the state. Each of the five nurseries teamed with consultants, investors, and out-of-state pot growers to develop their application and were chosen from a pool of 28 applicants from around the state. The decision moves the state closer to implementing the 2014 law that allows for marijuana low in euphoria-inducing tetrahydrocannabinol, or THC, and high in cannabidiol, or CBD, to be grown in Florida to treat patients with intractable epilepsy and people with advanced cancer. Under the law, applicants must have been in business in Florida for at least 30 years and grown a minimum of 400,000 plants at the time they applied. Each of the growers now will have 10 business days to post a $5 million performance bond to show they are serious about obtaining that license. A Pennsylvania State House committee advanced a medical marijuana bill in a bipartisan vote last Wednesday, but passing it into law will still likely require changes. The vote was 25 to 8, with all Democrats voting in support of the bill and Republicans split. The bill passed the Senate in May, 40 to 7. The bill was scheduled for a full House vote today, but the vote has been pulled from the schedule. Sources told the local ABC affiliate that an amendment is expected to be introduced that would water down Senate Bill 3 by putting caps on THC and the number of cannabis plants. A rally was held in the Capitol Rotunda at noon today. A family who lost their child to Dravet syndrome, a severe seizure disorder, spoke, saying they believe their child would still be alive if medical cannabis was legal in Pennsylvania. Cops are following through on New York City Mayor de Blasio's pledge to stop locking people up for carrying small amounts of pot. Police cuffed 18,120 cannabis consumers through October 20th, a 40% plummet from the 29,906 pot busts in the same period last year, State Division of Criminal Justice records show. At the same time, tickets for pot violations have surged. Cops handed out 13,081 low-level pot summons through the end of September and are and are on pace for more than 16,000 tickets. The NYPD issued 13,378 pot tickets for all of last year and 13,316 tickets in 2013, records show. City Hall ordered cops last year to ticket suspects they caught with 25 grams or less of marijuana instead of arresting them after district attorneys and activists clamored for drug decriminalization. Still, arrests outnumber tickets citywide, and there appears to be wide variations in enforcement. Less than a month after its land was raided, the Menemeni tribe uh, has filed a lawsuit against the DEA and the Department of Justice. The Wisconsin tribe wants to clarify whether it's legal for it to grow industrial hemp on its reservation, which the tribe considers to be equal to a state. Quote, we still stand firm on that belief that, yes, we fit the guidelines, end quote, said Gary Basaw, the Menemeni Indian tribal chairman. 
The guidelines Basaw is talking about are those in the 2014 Farm Bill. Basaw says the bill allows his tribe to team with the College of Minamini Nation to research and grow industrial hemp. The DEA has said the tribe wasn't growing industrial hemp. After the October raid, the DEA reported it confiscated 30,000 high-grade marijuana plants. The tribe hopes to have a decision by spring in hopes of possibly starting another hemp crop. This has been your Cannabis Radio News for Monday, November 23, 2015. I'm Russ Belville. The Russ Belville Show. Chat is for friends 18 and older. We expect our chat to be civil, mature, and free from excessive profanity. If you don't like these rules, there are approximately 6 billion other chat rooms with lower standards that you can visit. Imagine life without taxes. Let New Era Certified Public Accountants, NewEraCPAs.com, Handle your Cannabusiness 280E and tax strategy. Get your business prepared with New Era CPA's Cannabis Finance Boot Camp. NewEraCPAs.com, with years of experience in the industry, we are one of the nation's leading accounting firms for growers, dispensaries, and ancillary companies from Washington to California. NewEraCPAs.com. Gondrepreneur.com, your guide to the cannabis business world. Gondrepreneur.com is a comprehensive resource for cannabis professionals and entrepreneurs. Download the Gondrepreneur app on your smartphone or tablet to catch up on cannabis industry news, scroll through our daily job listings, and learn about successful cannabis companies, executives, and investors. Gondrepreneur.com, helping Gondrepreneurs grow. Welcome back, everybody. Time to go behind the headlines. And later today in the Radical Rant, you're going to hear a powerful speech uh, from Deborah Small from Break the Chains, where she calls for reparations in the drug war. And the idea being that the drug war has disproportionately impacted people of color. So as we legalize marijuana, there ought to be a way to see that a majority of that uh, benefit of that profit goes back to help those communities that were so damaged. And reparations are nothing new. This has been talked about ever since the end of slavery when uh, General William Tecumseh Sherman promised 40 acres and a mule to all the freed slaves, which would be a hell of a bargain compared to the actual amount that's been floated anywhere from 5.9 to 14.2 trillion dollars of reparations. But the whole idea of reparations has always been kind of uh complicated and controversial because who exactly gets paid and how much, right? Uh, Not all black people in America can trace their ancestry to a former African slave. And would it matter if that slave was kidnapped in the 19th century or all the way back to the 17th century? Would you pay more or less? Uh, Some black people have less black ancestry. Do they get a smaller cut? What about the children of freed blacks? What about new immigrants who don't have any Uh, uh, black uh, slave history, but are still treated differently because they're black. I mean, it's a very complicated subject, no doubt about it. But within the drug war and specifically within marijuana legalization, we've got some pretty detailed records and data about exactly who was impacted. Maybe we could examine ways to repair the damage the drug war has wrought on African-American communities without wading into the thickets of who is more deserving of the reparations. First of all, as we legalize weed state by state, we can put an end 
to these prohibitions on licensing anybody who has a previous conviction for marijuana offenses. That has a racist impact. I mean, cops are more likely to bust black folks, so then those black folks are less likely to be able to get legal licenses in the new market. And besides, it doesn't make that whole, a whole lot of sense. Why would we want to prevent people with the most experience in marijuana from being the legal operators in that market? Isn't the idea of legalization to turn criminals into law-abiding citizens? Another thing we might consider is seeing that the distribution of the tax revenues from marijuana legalization get earmarked to specific programs to benefit people of color and their communities that have been devastated by the drug war. Educational benefits, perhaps. But those two suggestions still don't stop the Yale MBAs and the already well-capitalized white businessmen from coming in and reaping the lion's share of profit in the new green rush. So consider this. Why not create an affirmative action program for marijuana licensing that encourages the formerly illegal to join the legal marketplace? A scoring system, perhaps, that gives various points for previous possession, cultivation, or trafficking convictions, plus more points for every year of incarceration. Now, I can I can imagine the criticism of this would be uh, you're rewarding criminal behavior, but I'd spin it as, no, we're giving recruiting bonuses to pull the best marijuana talent into the legal marketplace. And the nice thing about that, the point system, is it wouldn't necessarily be racially based because somebody like Jeff Mazansky, who ended up doing you know 22 years in prison, a white guy did 22 years in prison, would score high on those points, too. And be able to be you know, ahead in the line for licensing. Another idea might be to distribute the licenses based on the disproportionate criminal enforcement of the former prohibition. Like, for example, if a county locked up 60% black people, 25% Latinos, and 15% whites for marijuana trafficking, then let's take its 10 potential dispensary licenses and give six of them to black people, three of them to Latinos, and one to a white guy. Same with cultivation licenses based on cultivation bust rates and give the bud tender and trimmer jobs based on possession bust rates. It would help to create a new marijuana industry that's dominated by people of color, but and also help, you know, lift up their decimated communities, but would still give some preference to the white people who also have been victims of drug war incarceration as well. I mean, it's not a perfect solution. Don't get me wrong. I mean, why should the growers and dealers who managed to get caught get to cut in line in front of the people who didn't get caught? That's one problem I can think of. But come on, fellow white folks. We all felt a little less guilt when we gave the Native Americans most of the casino market. Why not turn over most of the marijuana market to the blacks and the Latinos who paid the price to keep all of us high all these years? It's something we ought to discuss, something to think about. And coming up in hour two, we'll take your live calls at 971-533-7111. That's just how white folks will do you. <laughs> well, President Obama, we're trying to find a new way. Let's find a way to help this fix the damage of the drug war. Stay tuned later for uh, Deborah Small's take on this. Uh, it's just amazing going to open your mind to think about some of this stuff. Happy 420, folks, in the Mountain Time Zone. we got to take a break. We'll be right back after this. The Russ Belleville Show. 
where we don't change our position on decriminalization in an election year. The Russ Belville Show is proudly sponsored by the Marijuana Business Association. The MJBA, called by NBC News the Cannabis Chamber of Commerce, is the fastest-growing business association in the fastest-growing industry in America. I've been working with the MJBA for years, and I personally invite you to join the MJBA. MJBA also publishes the popular MJ Headline News on Facebook and the MJNewsNetwork.com and Marijuana Channel 1 on YouTube. Visit MJBA.net for more details. Your connection to quality cannabis insurance services is spelled K-A-E-R-C-H-E-R. That's Karcher Insurance. We have worked with ventures like cannabis for over 60 years. We're proud to represent over 50 companies with tailor-made cannabis plans for owners just like you to insure your product, your plants, and your pursuits. K-A-E-R-C-H-E-R spells out their full-service insurance services, ranging from commercial to bonds, to personal, from life to health, and more. Contact the team at CarcherInsurance.com and let our experience work for you. That's K-A-E-R-C-H-E-R Insurance.com. Contact Karen and the team at Karcher Insurance at 1-844-421-3560. That's 844-421-3560. Arguing for the end of adult marijuana prohibition is easy. Because we have facts, science, reason, compassion, evidence, truth, and logic on our side. It is even easier when researchers catalog it all for us. Learn how to gather the facts on marijuana use, arrests, seizures, rehabs, drug tests, and more in this edition of Drug War Data Mining. Today in the Drug War Data Mines, we take a look at the national polls in North America as marijuana legalization becomes more and more popular. Of course, recently the Gallup poll came out once again here in the United States showing that 58% of the people support the legalization of marijuana. In Canada, the polls are even greater at 59% in the most recent, I think it was a staff poll, 59% of the Canadian people are in support of marijuana legalization, and that's also uh, bolstered by the recent sweep of the liberals into power in Canada and their their, uh, prime minister, Justin Trudeau, who campaigned on the platform of legalizing marijuana, who's already got his justice ministers working on the plan to legalize nationwide in Canada. Of course, the United States has four states already with legal cannabis and another five that are on deck, at least five, that are on deck for legalized marijuana coming up in the next election. 23 states with some form of medical cannabis recognition and another couple of states probably on deck, Florida, maybe Missouri, uh, going for medical marijuana. And Down south in Mexico, we've recently gotten the decision by the Mexican Supreme Court on the case of five petitioners who petitioned for the right to use cannabis and citing the Mexican Constitution's protections on the development of self and personality. The Supreme Court agreed, but it's not something that carries precedent for the whole nation. It only applies to those five petitioners. There are a few other cases coming. And according uh, to reports, if there's another uh, eight of those, that uh, it would take four more consecutive decisions of the same kind or eight of the 11 permanent justices to agree 
for the Mexican Supreme Court's ruling to set an official precedent and force the government to review the law. This is according to Reuters news agency. So with Mexico poised to legalize marijuana, Canada poised to legalize marijuana, uh, and the United States legalizing it state by state, the most interesting piece of data that we get out of North American marijuana legalization polling comes today, as reported by Reuters, two-thirds of Mexicans are against decriminalizing marijuana. 66% of the people polled, this was in a telephone survey by El Universal newspaper, opposed legalizing marijuana. Two out of three of the Mexican people. And it's a stunning result when you understand that over 100,000 people have died in drug-related violence in Mexico since 2007. And, of course, another tens of thousands of Mexicans who've been disappeared, who we don't know if they're dead, kidnapped, held captive, or what. And for the Mexican people to not make the connection that the legalization of cannabis is what's going to reduce that drug-related violence is a real travesty. It's, it's just sad that they don't understand that. The cartels are in business because of the prohibition profits that allow them to continue their murderous rampage. You don't see Dos Equis and Corona shooting it out in the streets of Matamoros, right? It's just not happening. So this poll showing only 66% support or 66% uh, opposition to marijuana legalization is troublesome. However, there is a little silver lining. In that same poll, 63% said they backed a wide-ranging debate on marijuana legalization in Mexico. A wide-ranging debate. So it makes you wonder if when they talk about legalization in Mexico, whether the people are voting against a commercialization of marijuana in Mexico, and maybe they would be open to other options, decriminalization, decriminalization, community gardens, uh, limited legalization, like something uh, the Netherlands might have. But we'll keep our eyes on these polls and the efforts to try to get the Mexican people to understand that what's in everybody's best interest here is the end of this marijuana prohibition. Certainly some of this is attributable to Mexico being a very Catholic country very conservative in those issues uh, considering drug use to be a moral failing but it's important that we get much more education in Spanish to our friends south of the border to understand the need to end adult marijuana prohibition I'm Radical Russ we'll be right back with Dr. Mitch Earlywine from Burning Issues with your Cannabis Q&A live on CannabisRadio.com You're tuned into the Russ Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. Hey everybody, it's Radical Russ here from 420 Radio, inviting you to be like me and get your ink done at Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo, Fort Worth's most female-friendly, clean, sterile, awesome tattoo shop. Thomas and his crew are true artists who can design you a custom piece or use a design you bring in. Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo also offers all styles of tattooing as well as piercings and all-around fun. 
in the DFW area, stop by Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo and tell them Radical Russ sent you. Trust me, it'll feel awesome. MJWellness.com, the largest medical marijuana community in the world. Connect with thousands of patients, doctors, industry leaders, and businesses through shared personal experiences along our worldwide network. Discover new therapies and benefits with content tailored to you. Come grow your network on mjwellness.com. You're not alone. Your wellness matters. Learn, live, and thrive. Check out mjwellness.com today. It's time for the Russ Belleville Show's Cannabis Q&A with Dr. Mitch Earlywine. Dr. Earlywine is a professor of psychology at the State University of New York at Albany and a leading author and researcher on cannabinoids and health who pins the Ask Dr. Mitch column for High Times Magazine. Get your questions ready in our live chat or call in to 971-533-7111 now. Welcome back, everybody. Time for our cannabis Q&A. And uh, I saw Dr. Mitch show up in our chat room, and I'm trying to reach him on Skype, but he's there's Dr. Mitch on Skype. How you doing, Dr. Mitch? Hello, Mitch. Can you hear me? Yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah, we got you there. <laughs> I saw your, your Skype was offline. I was worried. Oh, okay. Glad to have you here. Dr. Mitch is the host of Burning Issues here on CannabisRadio.com, weekly podcast dedicated to enlightening people on the truth about cannabis. And uh, Dr. Mitch, what's coming up on your next show? Oh, it's curious. I had a really intriguing interview with uh, Libertarian uh, Executive Vice President of the Cato Institute, um, David Bowes, and he actually, you know, we had a good time. It was fun. All right. Check that out on CannabisRadio.com. You can get all the uh, Burning Issues uh, episodes available there for download on demand, and uh, we'll have more. We'll make more of those as we go. But Dr. Mitch joins us every Monday and has for years now to discuss our Cannabis Q&A. The phone lines are open. If you've got a question on cannabis science, culture, history, or health, the phone line is 971-533-7111. But uh, as we wait for your calls, we've got a few other stories that we can talk about. And at the top of the list, Dr. Mitch, a very interesting study that was uh, shown up on Medical Daily that claims childhood sexual abuse is linked to marijuana use but it really may all be in the genes. What can we glean from this study? So this is actually a, a neat crew out at WashU who have this uh, big data set of twins uh, down in Australia, and it looks like folks who run into trouble with cannabis, it's probably a, a heritable contributor as far as that is concerned, but there's usually you inherit some kind of propensity towards a reaction to the drug, and a stressor, a big stressor like uh, child abuse may be uh, what contributes to, you know, that that leap from, you know, experimental use to troubled use. I, you know, didn't want to make too big a deal out of this just because it's a, a very complicated genetic analysis and this individual gene may not replicate, but we've seen heritability of cannabis dependence symptoms back when uh, that was the diagnosis, so it wouldn't stun me. Uh, that there's a, a heritable contributor. 
Okay, so so somebody's who's comes from a family where they've got a difficulty with marijuana use, uh, that may be something that leads to their own difficulty with marijuana use, the heritability you're speaking of. Exactly, and it looks like actually not from these data, but from other data sets, what you inherit is often the response to cannabis itself, and so uh, that subset of folks may find it more pleasant or uh, uh, a good way of, of getting their minds off certain stressors. But it's the combination of that and uh, a stressor like childhood abuse that that seems to be uh, what what leads to the actual dependence symptoms. Does that mean that some of those people out there that say when they first smoke they don't get high, maybe that's genetic? Uh, There's certainly a heritability to that initial response, but that not getting high actually seems to be linked to an inability to know how to inhale. (laughs) uh, It's kind of an intriguing uh, first step. Well, I did not inhale. I did not like it, and I never tried it again. (laughs) Well done, sir. (laughs) Let's take a look at this other study, which uh, this one was interesting because uh, here in Oregon, we've recently gotten these new placards that have to be handed out whenever there's a cannabis purchase at our legal stores that talks about there may be damage to the fetus, there may be problems for pregnant women, maybe you shouldn't smoke pot, and there's always these studies saying this or that bad thing about moms who smoke pot, but this study says that prenatal exposure to marijuana can affect your kid's vision in a good way. Tell folks about this one. So I was pretty stunned by this, but uh, basically in this rather complicated um, tracking, uh, visual tracking task, the kids who were uh, at age four and were the ones who uh, had moms who had exposure to cannabis during pregnancy were actually doing better on this. It's not a huge effect, but it's definitely something um, that, you know, was statistically significant. I want to emphasize, as I would if it had gone the other way, that these weren't randomly assigned. And I'm guessing that these were folks who, you know, had mothers who may have been particularly good at comparable tasks uh, if they had done an adult test of something in the same domain, I would have found this a little more uh, easy to follow. But the other thing is, I, I'm just sort of spitballing here, but I'm wondering if it may have been something a little like that uh, cannabis protecting against alcohol-induced damages in the brain, that if these were parents who actually were pretty drug-involved, the ones who did alcohol and alcohol alone may have actually done more damage to their kids, while the ones who... Uh, had cannabis on top of the alcohol may have protected against. I'm still really down on drug use uh, during during pregnancy, and so I just wanted to emphasize that uh, this isn't this isn't exactly a prenatal vitamin. Yeah, and and there's there's so many different confounders when we try to uh, get any information out of this sort of stuff because you can't you know just randomly assign half the pregnant women to smoke pot. Uh, it's all self selecting and such, and who knows maybe. Maybe people that already have these enhanced visual skills are more likely to be people that want to smoke pot and then their kids inherit those visual skills. Is that kind of something you, you could got happen? it exactly right, man. That That's that's it. And I think there's uh, some comparable animal work that really needs to be done where we could do random assignment and just checked. Uh, I mean, obviously, rats can't do this task, but they do do visual spatial tasks. And we could see if uh, that enhancement does replicate that way and have a stronger causality argument. All right. We have a headline coming out of Time magazine on Time.com that says one in 10 people in the U.S. have abused drugs. And that's where we have to define what do we mean by abused and what do we mean by drugs? 
So what's crazy about this is this is one of the hugest uh, face-to-face interviews from a national survey back in 2012. And it's unfortunate because the diagnosis for uh, drug abuse is actually no longer around. The DSM-5 has a, an addiction syndrome. So I'm, I'm apprehensive about making too much of this. But the take-home message is that about 10% of folks have had some kind of drug-related problems actually is consistent with data we've had in the past. Um, but that includes cannabis, cocaine, hallucinogens, heroin, uh, the whole gamut. And I, I think um, the, the clincher is we want to you know, emphasize that, hey, this can happen to anyone despite the heritability and the uh, class differences and things like that we've mentioned and that the opioid-related things are clearly up. So I could split hairs about the diagnosis of dependence, but just the fact that we've got literally more uh, painkiller abuse than we've ever had is something for everybody to keep in mind. By all means, uh, leave those things alone if you can. We're speaking with Dr. Mitch Earlywine, the host of Burning Issues on CannabisRadio.com. And if you got a call in question, the phone line is 971-533-7111. Or if you'd like to email your question in, you can send it to 420research at gmail.com, and we might tackle it in a future show. Uh, another study showing an alarming link between alcohol, drug use, and campus rape. This is, as a professor on a college campus, I'm sure this is a topic you deal with quite a bit. Well, actually, this is my friend Kate Carey, who used to be at Syracuse University, and she you know, did a really good job of getting some candid responses. But uh, in a large sample, over 400 uh, freshman women, suggested about 15% had experienced some kind of sexual assault while basically incapacitated by drugs or alcohol. And I feel like the the only thing to say about this is, oh, my God, this is horrible. And it's time to let uh, intervening be the social norm now. So if you see somebody passed out, get that person somewhere safe, regardless of race, creed, gender, sexual orientation or whatever. We don't want people to do that. And then let's definitely set the norm that this is completely uncool to, you know, even be trying to kiss somebody who isn't conscious. Like this is just so wrong in so many ways and just so hostile and reprehensible. And we've had data comparable to this literally for decades. And it says a lot about uh, making better decisions as far as alcohol is concerned. I really feel like when you look at the norms, most folks really do not drink very much at all. Uh, have maybe one or two drinks in an evening, and it's just a, a outlying crew that happen to drink four or more on any individual occasion, and that seems to be what's putting folks at risk for uh, these assaults. Yeah, and such a shame that so many colleges, uh, there's some sort of drug testing involved that kind of incentivizes the use of alcohol or these harder drugs rather than marijuana. Is there is there really much to people that are marijuana alone uh, consumers seeing this increased link with campus rape? We don't have those data in either direction, um, but in part, it's it's hard to get funding to look at that and that alone. And so I'm finding that a little bit suspicious. The other thing, I mean, I want to hammer home the disparate penalties. So if you're caught with an illicit drug of any kind on some campuses, you're expelled. And that's just not the same penalty for alcohol at all, even with underage drinking. So 
uh, what is potentially a safer uh, drug in this case for numerous reasons, including probably a, a decreased likelihood simply because uh, who smokes so much pot that they pass out? <laughs> yeah. Then, then uh, here we were essentially, you know, setting things up so the contingencies are completely ass backwards. Yeah. All right. And uh, finally, we've got a story out of Tech Times that very interesting because we've talked about kids and ADHD and Adderall and so forth. And this study said that kids who take ADHD medications like Adderall are more likely to be bullied. And, and what's behind that? I'm afraid this is just a, a mask for actually kids with ADHD are more likely to be bullied. Uh. And it's a very sad dynamic, and it, uh, it's funny because the qualitative work is actually what revealed it most. I thought, oh, these kids will be tough, and they'll be quick to anger and probably not be something somebody that a bully would want to target. But in fact, when you interview the bullies, what they say is they know the ADHD kid is in trouble a lot, and that if they pick on them, uh, odds are high the teacher's not going to believe them. And that just breaks my heart. Mm. I was just like, oh, my God, what kind of bully basically goes after somebody with that rationale? But that seems to be part of the case. So I don't think this really has anything to do with the ADHD meds so much as this odd dance between the bullies and the bullied that uh, ADHD tends to put folks at risk for. Was it, wasn't there something in there about being bullied to sell or give away their meds, though? Oh, it's interesting because at the end of the article, she does say that at, at Valari. Um, yeah. Oh, what a bummer, man. So, <laughs> it's just not only are you more likely to get in trouble, but hey, I want your drugs. Yes. Just, it, it, it's, it's, a new, it's the new twist on the old, hey, kid, give me your lunch money. Exactly. Exactly. Well, folks, check out Dr. Mitch on the Burning Issues podcast on CannabisRadio.com. You can also reach him by email at 420research at gmail.com. And uh, we'll speak to you next Monday. Thanks, Dr. Mitch. Okay, man. Talk to you soon. All right. When we come back, an amazing oratory from Deborah Peterson Small, co-founder of Break the Chains, on the need for drug war reparations and the insanity of baseball metaphors for criminal justice. You're listening to the Russ Belville Show on CannabisRadio.com. You're tuned into the Russ Belville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation. Warning. Hits taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals. Or at least they pay me to say that. You know Herb Thrasher from the Herb Thrasher Flower Hour. Now get ready for Herb Age Designs for the proud cannabis consumer. Herb Age Designs. Lifestyle gear for the 420 friendly. Herb Age Designs. We've got Frisbee golf discs and durable hemp gear. Herb Age Designs. We've got shot glasses, drinking glasses, coffee mugs, and beer cozies. Check us out on Facebook and online at HerbAgeDesigns.com. And follow Herb Age and Herb Thrasher on Twitter. Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com.
must wage what I have called total war against public enemy number one. I support a change in law to end federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. That marijuana, pot, grass, whatever you want to call it, is probably the most dangerous drug. Some think there won't be room for them in jail. We'll make room. I experimented with marijuana a time or two, and I didn't like it and didn't inhale. One major responsibility is to encourage people to use less drugs. Entirely legitimate topic uh, for debate. Radical rant. And now Deborah Peterson Small from Break the Chains at the International Reform Conference. Um, Our next speaker is someone I have an incredible honor to introduce. It's very humbling. She was my boss when I worked at the Drug Policy Alliance for the first time, and so I was able to sit at her feet for three years and be amazed by her daily, the way that I'm sure all of you who joined us at the Black Lives Matter town hall were last night with her brilliance. Ms. Deborah Peterson-Small is... (laughs) Thank you. So Deborah Peterson-Small is founder and executive director of Break the Chains, a public policy research and advocacy organization committed to addressing the disproportionate impact of punitive drug policies on poor communities of color. It was founded in the belief that community activism and advocacy is an essential component of progressive policy and works to engage families and community leaders in promoting alternatives to the failed war on drugs by adopting public health approaches to substance abuse and drug-related crime. Please join me in welcoming the amazing Deborah Peterson-Small. Good morning, everyone. Can't tell you how happy I am to be here. Um, I want to start actually by acknowledging the shoulders that I'm standing on, because we did start with the memoriam. And there were three people there who were really important to me being here today. The first one was Dr. Benny Prim. He was one of the first people that I met when I came into this community. And throughout the entire time of my relationship with him, he was more than just an advisor. He was like the father that I didn't have. I could always go to him and talk to him about anything. And I really think it's important for people to get to know who he was and what it was that he contributed because so many of us are doing work that was based on the things that he started back in the 1960s. The second person is Eddie Ellis, who literally took me to prison. I would not be here doing this work if it was not for him. He identified very early on when I was working for the Civil Liberties Union and going up to Albany that all he needed to do was to bring me to the place where the horrors were happening and then allow the rest to take care of itself. And I love Eddie and I miss him so much. And then finally, someone who wasn't included in that because he died almost a decade ago, but Keith Kyler, one of the founders of Housing Works, was also really, really instrumental in my development as an advocate, as a policy person, and as a fighter. Because Keith lived his life fully as the person he wanted to be, a drug user. He never shied away from that. He never denied that. He never felt ashamed of that. 
And to me, it's really important if this movement is really a movement about elevating people who use drugs, that we have at the forefront people who actually use drugs and are not ashamed to say it. I want to um, pick up where Ethan left off yesterday in talking about the importance of knowing our history. Because for me, you know, I came to this movement because of my belief and commitment to social justice. And I feel like I'm always learning more and more and more about how all these things tie together. So I want you all to go with me on a little history journey. I'm going to go even further back than Damon went. I'm going to go back 400 years because I think it's important for us to recognize that the Western civilization, of which most of us are a part, was built and funded on the promotion of addiction for profit. I want to repeat that. The Western civilization that we are part of, the Anglo-American enterprise of which the U.S. was the most successful process, project was built and financed by promoting addiction for profit to sugar, tobacco, alcohol. The slave trade was developed in order to support the promotion of addiction for profit. Racism was invented to justify the slave trade, which was developed to promote addiction for profit. And here we are, 400 years later, after having built an empire on the backs of people that we got addicted to things so we could make money from them, now we have a new system of punishing people for the addictions we develop so that we can profit from the punishment. So I want to assert that the greatest addictions that Americans have is not to drugs. Our three biggest addictions are to denial, to punishment, and to the American dream. I'm going to take a minute on that one, because we talked about that a little bit yesterday, and I just want people to think about this, because we don't actually have critical conversations about the words that we use and what they mean. What is it to be a country that defines itself in terms of a dream, which is by definition not real? Like, really, our whole identity is built up in pursuing something that actually doesn't exist. And if we were real about our history, we would acknowledge that that period of goldenness, wonderful America, only lasted for 30 years. 30 years out of an almost 300-year period, but we've defined our whole identity inside of this 30-year period when everybody seemed to be doing good because the rest of the world was doing bad. That's not sustainable. So one of the messages I have for you all is like it's time for us to wake up and live in reality, not in the dream. And in the reality of of our system that we're in now, One of the biggest problems that we have is our addiction to consumerism and to believing that we are what we consume. You know, I say that by definition, drug prohibition cannot exist compatible with human rights. 
it's not possible to have a system based on prohibition that's compatible with human rights. Because by practice, it's a policy that requires that you punish people who are involved with drugs. We say that it's a war on drugs, but it's not a war on drugs. It's a war on people. You can't war on the plants. They keep growing no matter what we do. So what really this is, is a war on people. And it's not a war on people who are doing things that we all agree are problematic. It's a war on people that we don't like, who are doing things that are only problematic because they're doing them. All right? I mean, one of the biggest frustrations that I continue to have as a drug policy reform advocate is the willingness of so many people to feel it's okay to punish those other people for things that they're doing. And that, you know, reform is punishment light. But we never get to the point of, like, actually not talking about punishment. I say that as a society and culture, our relationship with drugs is rooted in hypocrisy, greed, human exploitation. We care more about our ability to be able to punish people than we care about actually preserving their health, than we do about protecting them. So I want to just go over just a few examples of real examples of the ways in which drug policies operate in ways that are dehumanizing. The first one I want to speak to, because I'm a female, is the way in which our policies are directed against women. One of the justifications for adopting these treaties in the first place was that they were going to protect women and children. And yet what we have seen now in the U.S. and in other countries is the stigmatization of women, and particularly of pregnant and parenting women, and the criminalization of their outcomes based on whether or not they use drugs. So in the 80s, it was crack babies. In the 2000s, it's oxytots. We never talk about poverty as a problem for people's birth outcomes. We never talk about all the legal drugs that people get to use, but we're more than willing to lock up women for that. Second, dehumanizing drug conspiracy laws, guilt by association. That's why Kemba got sentenced to all that time. They acknowledged that she didn't use drugs. They acknowledged that she didn't sell drugs, but she was guilty because of her association. What kind of dehumanization is that? And one of the consequences of that is that we use those conspiracy laws to force people to tell lies on each other in order to avoid having the majority of their life be spent behind bars. That is dehumanizing. Don't clap, because I only got three minutes. <laughs> Last two points. Three strikes laws. For me, this is something I really want us to think about, because we not only apply that in sentencing, we apply that in treatment, we apply that in schools, and we never ask ourselves, where the hell did street strikes come from? It's a baseball metaphor. Why do you have strikes in baseball? Because there is no clock. I'm serious, don't laugh. There's no clock in baseball. So the purpose of balls and strikes is to add some level of boundary and finality to an otherwise untimed game. But people are not like baseball. We're more like football and basketball because our clock starts running from the moment that we're born. We are finite people. 
So we need to think about what it means to apply a sports metaphor that's designed in that context to people, to people's lives. To say three strikes, you're out. What the hell does that mean? And we actually don't even critically examine how, that, how we came up with that, how we're applying it, and what it actually means. Now, I know I'm running out of time, so I'm going to go to my last two points real quick, which is what is drug policy reform? This is, again, a point where history has to teach us something. In the same way that ending legal slavery did not equate with black freedom, ending mass incarceration is not the same as actually removing all the shackles, et cetera, that drug policies have placed on people of color. Okay, we need to actually think about what is the role that the drug war has played. It has been the space to continue to allow the economic, political, and social oppression and exploitation of people in general, but black and brown people in particular. So if our reform is not changing that power relationship, if all we're doing is taking off people's physical chains and putting them in the economic chains of having to pay for the privilege of not going to prison so that somebody else gets to profit, that's not real reform. And for all of you pot, pot entrepreneurs out there, my question to you is, are you going to be a parasite or a social engineer? Are you going to use your money to keep sucking the blood out of our community, or are you actually going to be part of the solution of applying reparations? And yes, I said that word, because God damn it, I am done with the idea of people having policies that screw over people for decades, and then one day they say, oh wow, we've come enlightened, my bad, and all of a sudden it's all good. And we're still left with the scars. We're still left with the hurt. We're still left with all of the damage that has been done. You guys owe us and I'm here to collect. See you. That's Deborah Peterson Small, co-founder of Break the Chains, with an electric oratory that only needed a mic drop at the end of it to have been any more powerful. It's definitely something we need to consider. How do we repair the damage the drug war has wrought on the communities of color in this country? We'll talk about that coming up here in Hour 2, Toker Talk Radio. We'll take your calls at 971-533-7111. What kind of reparations are possible? What should there be reparations whatsoever? We'll talk about it and more coming up in the next hour. Also coming up, Bacon Dan will be calling in with our Roots Monday Daily Toker Tunes. We'll take a look at asset forfeiture in this country and learn that the cops are stealing more than the robbers. And we'll uh, finish things up with our tinfoil hat. Was Ohio's legalization vote stolen? We take a deeper look in hour two. That's all the time I got for today. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, take care of each other, tokers. This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you giant, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you giant, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you giant, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth.
Young people everywhere are making a difference. Special Olympics has changed my life so dramatically. It's helped me a lot to be fearless, you know, in the real world. My friends I've made through Special Olympics are the best people I've ever met in my life. I truly realize that what I'm doing is for a great cause. And it's not about disabilities, but it's about celebrating their abilities. I've made a difference. Now it's your turn to make a difference. Get involved at specialolympics.org. I'm Talia. As the mother of two young children, there is nothing closer to my heart than the health of our babies. That's why I'm asking you to help put an end to premature birth. Each year, more than 15 million babies are born too soon, and more than 1 million will die. Visit facebook.com slash worldprematurityday to find out how you can make a difference in your community and around the world. Tony Stewart wins the Cobalt Tools 400. This is Tony Stewart here to tell you about a way veterans and service members can get on the fast track to well-deserved benefits. It's called eBenefits, a website created by VA and DOD that gives veterans, service members, and families instant access to more than 40 benefits and services. It's a way to serve those who have served us. To get started, just go to www.ebenefits.va.gov or just do a search for VA eBenefits. Brought to you by the Department of Veterans Affairs. There is a part of our world where toxic chemicals and carcinogens are leaching into our environment. It's the ground underneath every littered cigarette butt. Let's stop the toxic litter. Learn more at RethinkButts.org. Brought to you by Legacy and Leave No Trace. The Amazon's rainforest is being cut down so fast that by 2030, 55% of it could be completely wiped out. The Earth's forests can't speak up when they need help, but we can. Be the voice for those who have no voice. Visit WorldWildlife.org. It's time for Toker Talk Radio, the voice of the marijuana nation. What are you people? On dope? Where you can tope. I am here. Uh, or you can talk. I experimented with marijuana and didn't inhale. Or you can talk and talk. Ten federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. While we talk about toke on Toker Talk Radio. So, by the way, when it comes to pot, you know, if you're 40 years old, you live in a log cabin in Oregon, you got 12 giant pot plants in your backyard, have a ball. Live from beautiful Poplin, Oregon at Rolla J Studios. Plus your calls live at 971-533-7111. They're walking on their pants with their cap on backwards, listening to the end of a man, the Snoopy Snoopy Poop Dog. What's to keep somebody from getting all potted up on weed and then getting behind the wheel? Gateway theory doesn't work. It's a reality. Holland, is it real? Don't tease me. We're locking up people that take a couple of puffs of marijuana, and, and the, the next thing you know, they got 10 years. And now, here's your host, the guru of ganja graphics, the sultan of sativa statistics, and the worst nightmare of a reefer mad prohibitionist. A polite, perspicacious, productive pothead with a propensity for PowerPoint. Radical Russ Belleville. Welcome back, everyone. Hour two, Toker Talk Radio. Your turn to be the voice of the marijuana nation. The phone line is open at 971-533-7111. If you want to give us a call, we're here to talk. 
Been thinking a lot about race lately. That uh, drug reform conference featured a Black Lives Matter town hall and numerous panels that uh, brought up the plight of communities of color with respect to mass incarceration, the policing of the drug war, and so forth. And uh, in hour one, I talked a little bit about my ideas on how we might make reparations in the drug war. And it's kind of a controversial thing. Some people don't even like the idea. You know, you bring up the word reparations and people get a little bristled, especially white folks sometimes get a little little upset about that idea. But I, I don't see it as being a big problem. You know, we we gave the casinos to the Native Americans, right? Why do we do that? Because, well, you know, they have tribal sovereignty and we can't control whether or not. But yada, yada, yada. The real reason why we did it was white guilt. We did it because, like, damn, we really kind of, sorry about that whole genocide, genocide thing. Uh, here, how about some casinos, right? Help your reservations, help your tribes, uh, raise some money. We'll give you the casinos. And you, you can argue all day that it's not even close to enough as far as, de- you know, destroying an entire race of people in multiple cultures and multiple languages, et cetera. Speaking of multiple languages, the uh, last Navajo code talker died this weekend. You know, the uh, code talkers from World War II, where the they spoke native Navajo code to each other. And it was the only code the Japanese and the Germans couldn't break because it was so, you know, such a, you know, rare language. Yeah, the last of those veterans died. Uh, just this weekend. But, uh, you know, we gave the casino industry to the Indians. Most of it, not all of it. There's still Las Vegas, right? There's still there's still Atlantic City. <laughs> you know, there's still some white guys that get to make money on casinos too, right? So why not? Why not set up a situation where we, in legalizing marijuana, find a way for it to more greatly benefit the communities of color that got devastated by the drug war in the first place, because there's already going to be a problem. There's already going to be a problem when it comes to the hood. And you know, the white folks been coming in from the suburbs to buy drugs from the kids in the hood for years. Right. And that has been an economic engine for a lot of these impoverished areas. So what are those kids going to do? When the, when the very lucrative weed dealing jobs go away and become, you know, bud tender jobs at legal pot shops. Sure, they could get those jobs, sure, but they're not going to pay as much. They're going to pay like a regular job would. So there's going to be this, this reduction of overall economic activity by legalizing marijuana. Because not only taking those jobs away, those illicit jobs away that are feeding some families, but also you crash the price of weed. So even the even somebody who's still dealing weed on the sly can't charge as much for it. So, so there's going to be this economic crash. How do we deal with that? What are we going to do to deal with that? Right? If, if the kid can't sell weed anymore does he does he switch to selling harder drugs if we don't provide some other opportunity now i i offered some ideas right number one don't disqualify people for marijuana licenses based on a previous drug conviction if anything give them points for it 
<laughs> right? Now, I'm not talking about criminals, right? I'm not talking about people with you know ill intent who've committed violent acts, etc. Right? Who've defrauded people or you know anything like that. But if the only thing you got on a guy is you you caught him holding the bag, you 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 busted him on some conspiracy charge or something, that guy ought to be at the front of the line to get the legal marijuana license. We want to move people out of the illicit market into the legal market. And maybe some percentage of the tax revenues that come from marijuana legalization should specifically be earmarked to communities of color that have been devastated by the over-policing in the drug war. On the other hand, does marijuana legalization have to solve everything? That might be the counter-argument. Like, isn't it enough that legalizing marijuana is going to end the disproportionate arrests? That it's going to help free more black and Latino people? Does marijuana legalization have to solve racism and economic inequality and every other ill? Or should marijuana legalization stick to solving the problem of arresting people for marijuana? These are some interesting questions we'll be debating for sure. Five of the last nine major party candidates to run for president, three of the last nine vice presidential candidates, and the last three two-term presidents have all smoked pot. Marijuana, the gateway drug to the White House. This is the Russ Belville Show. son of a Polish immigrant who grew up in a Brooklyn tenement. He went to public schools, then college, where the work of his life began, fighting injustice and inequality, speaking truth to power. He moved to Vermont, won election and praise as one of America's best mayors. In Congress, he stood up for working families and for principle, opposing the Iraq war, supporting veterans. Now he's taking on Wall Street and a corrupt political system, funded by over a million contributions, tackling climate change to create clean energy jobs, fighting for living wages, equal pay, and tuition-free public colleges. People are sick and tired of establishment politics, and they want real change. Bernie Sanders, husband, father, grandfather, an honest leader, building a movement with you to give us a future to believe in. I'm Bernie Sanders, and I approve this message. Dr. Dabber, hurry! Its temperature is shooting past 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit. It's burning up! I'm afraid for this little guy, it's just too late. What caused the problem? Only Dr. Dabber can maintain the perfect temperature for a smooth-tasting, slower burn. This standard vaporizer lost all of its health benefits, sending it up in smoke. So you're telling me that most vapor pens burn so hot they produce smoke, not vapor? Correct! Keep away from those standard vaporizer pens and turn to Dr. Dabber, doctor's orders. Less heat, more flavor. Welcome back, everybody. 12 after the hour here at uh, the Russ Belville Show's Toker Talk Radio. 
We've got uh, plenty coming up for you in the second half hour. We're going to talk a little bit about asset forfeiture and uh, another report on the Ohio vote. Right now, discussing the idea of reparations in the war on marijuana. Don't screw Pookie over again. What can we do? Or should we do anything? Should marijuana legalization just stick to marijuana legalization? I think there's definitely a racial angle that we need to take a look at here when it comes to marijuana legalization. I think Dr. Alexander, I think uh, Deborah Small, I think a lot of observers do have a valid point in this notion that we've had these laws, these drug war laws for 40 years and this enforcement for 40 years, this war on drugs that has disproportionately impacted people of color. And to just end it and say, oh, well, now it's all legal and then have white businessmen coming in and then dominating the market and profiting from it would be an injustice. Don't you think? Don't you think that's a little unjust? I think so. And and we want to see the end of the drug war be a positive, a net positive for everyone in America, not just pot smokers, but also the communities that have been ravaged by the drug war. I mean, sure, there's a point to be made that marijuana legalization should be about solely about the marijuana, who gets arrested for marijuana and ending that. But there's so many collateral consequences of those marijuana arrests that lead to the devastation of neighborhoods that affect people that have nothing to do with marijuana. Doesn't matter. You know, if you're a black kid growing up in an impoverished neighborhood your parents might not smoke pot. You might not ever smoke pot or or do any other sort of drugs. But the fact that they've been illegal and disproportionately policed does change, does impact you. So you can't choose to just not be a part of it. I mean, I didn't grow up in a situation where there were helicopters flying over at night and where cop cars were patrolling all the time. And if you look the wrong way at the cop, they throw you up against the wall and stop and frisk you and all of that kind of stuff. I didn't have to deal with that. I didn't have to deal with knowing which street to walk home on because you had to worry about where the gang was hanging out. I mean, you didn't have to worry about that cop, that car slowly approaching whether or not it was, you know, getting ready to do a drive by. So we need to understand that this is bigger than just, you know, stopping the arrests. It's also about, you know, dealing with the aftermath, dealing with the, the, the carnage that this drug war has wrought. But on the other hand, there's a part of me that doesn't like um, racially based public policy. Okay, that's that's uh, that's overtly racially based things like affirmative action, busing, those kind of things. There's a part of me that bristles about that because I think there is some truth to the idea that so long as you're treating people differently based on race, you're exacerbating racism, even if you're treating people differently based on race in trying to do it for a positive reason to try to equalize things in some way at its most core definition, racism is treating people differently because of race. So when conservatives make that point, I I get where they're coming from, right? I've, I've heard that line on Fox news. So my solution I think is, is on the right track. 
And that is to give point, have licensing in marijuana, whether you be to be a licensed grower, a licensed processor, a licensed wholesaler, a licensed retailer, set the regulations up, set the, you know, because usually these are merit-based, if it's going to be merit-based application, you know, uh, I would much prefer merit-based as preferred to lottery, right? But if it's going to be some merit-based application that gives points based on previous the, the previous criminal record or previous criminal interaction when it came to the war on drugs. By doing it this way, by saying, you know, like, hey, if you were busted for possession, then you get 10 points. If you were busted for cultivation, you get 50 points. If you did time, you get 100 points per year. Whatever it might be, I'm just throwing numbers out there, but some sort of point system based on how much prohibition impacted your life. Now, of course, we're not going to, you know, let's disqualify violent guys and, and liars and thieves and, you know, real bad people. But if it was just, you know, you were a part of the marijuana market that happened to be illegal at the time, let's give you some points for that. And let's let's put those people at the front of the line to get the licensing. Now, the the nice thing about this is it's not directly racially based. Jeff Mazansky, some guy who did 20 years in prison, 22 years in prison for marijuana trafficking for a third strike. He'd get a whole ton of points and could get a marijuana license. Right. White guy. But it, it wouldn't be directly racially based, but it would have the effect of mitigating some of the racist aspect of the war on drugs because more disproportionately more black and Latino people would have those criminal records that get you those extra points. Maybe that's, maybe that's a way to look at it. Now I can already poke some holes in that. Like it kind of rewards people who got busted, right? So like if you got busted, doesn't that mean you were a little, maybe you were unlucky, but also maybe you weren't as smart as the other people involved in the trade, right? So in a sense, maybe you're rewarding incompetence <laughs> in a sense, right? How would you, you know, the people that didn't get caught, perhaps, you know, the 30-year the pot-growing families in Humboldt County, why should they be further behind in line for getting a license than some guy that grew in his closet was stupid and got busted? So, right, I'm not trying to say this is perfect, but maybe this is a direction we start to look if we're, if we're really serious about coming up with some sort of reparations with when it comes to the, the war on drugs. And then, I've, uh, you know, the other possibility is, you know, a lot of these places are going to have a cap on licenses when they legalize. Uh, like the Nevada thing is so, so many licenses per population, right? So it ends up you get like 80 licenses in Clark County and like four in, or what is it, six or 10 in the Reno, Clark County uh, or the uh, Washoe County, I should say. And then like one or two everywhere else. Well, maybe, maybe those licenses ought to be distributed to people based on the disproportionality of the enforcement there. Like, you know, if they were arresting 60% of the people in that county were the ones that were getting arrested for, uh, were black people getting arrested for marijuana, then give out 60% of the licenses to black people. That's got its problems too. Who's exactly black? Do you have to do you have to prove you reference that on the census at some point that you were self-identifying as black? Does Rachel Dolezal get a license? I mean, <laughs> there's still some problems with that too. It's not going to be an easy thing to discuss. It's not going to have some real easy cut and dry sort of lines for us to work on, but I think it's a concept worth discussing. 
How can we end the war on drugs in a way that best benefits the communities that were devastated by the war on drugs? Something to consider. We'll keep talking about it as the week goes on. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. You can try, Hal. Think hard, Hal. It's 4.20 here in the Pacific Time Zone. It's great to be back in my home time zone where 4.20 comes at the time it's supposed to come. Although, really, does 4.20 ever come at a bad time for you? Not me. We got the strong silicone glow in the dark bong and some good panacea Chem Valley weed tested at 19.56% THC. Imagine life without taxes. Let New Era Certified Public Accountants, NewEraCPAs.com, handle your Cannabis 280E and tax strategy. Get your business prepared with New Era CPA's Cannabis Finance Bootcamp. NewEraCPAs.com, with years of experience in the industry, we are one of the nation's leading accounting firms for growers, dispensaries, and ancillary companies from Washington to California. NewEraCPAs.com. Get Dot Buzz. Dot Buzz is the internet platform that fuels community interest, excitement, and new experiences. Dot Buzz is the premier online destination for internet users seeking the latest news on a variety of topics. Dot Buzz appeals to groups active in blogging, communications, journalism, advertising, and marketing. Dot Buzz offers registrants a stronger alternative to the shrinking namespace of existing top-level domain names, such as .com, .net, and .org. Get your name now at get.buzz. Gondrepreneur.com, your guide to the cannabis business world. Gondrepreneur.com is a comprehensive resource for cannabis professionals and entrepreneurs. Download the Gondrepreneur app on your smartphone or tablet to catch up on cannabis industry news, scroll through our daily job listings, and learn about successful cannabis companies, executives, and investors. Gondrepreneur.com, helping Gondrepreneurs grow. knows music and marijuana go together so let's wind up our 20 after break with the russ belleville show's daily toker tunes the best in pod safe 420 music from around the web today is roots monday featuring the blues country folk and jazz music that birthed the modern sounds we enjoy today now sit back and enjoy your daily toker tune oh yeah back home for some daily toker tunes and mr portland himself is on the line we got bacon dan how you doing bacon dan i am doing very good man i'm recovering still from the awesome timbers win last night but uh yeah and my bills play tonight so i can't complain oh the bills patriots is tonight that's right oh please win uh that's the goal (laughs) that's always the goal hey so what does this mean for uh our major league soccer portland timbers this is the playoffs isn't it it is. This is the Western Conference Finals, and we killed Dallas three to one last night, uh, right from the start. Very aggressive playing. Um, so now we go to Dallas on Friday, and with a tie or a win, we go to the MLS Finals. Uh, hopefully, against a very strong Columbus, who beat out New York Red Bulls two nothing last night. I see. So they got the same situation. They need a win or a tie to move on. 
Exactly. Right on. All right. So, wow, could be Columbus and Portland fighting for the Major League Soccer Championship. This would be a first for Portland, wouldn't it? It would. And I'll tell you what, we're looking strong enough. And the support last night at the game, my God, it was freezing cold. But nobody left until, like, every player was off the field, and we cheered them so hard. It was just so good. How exciting. All right, big things happening here in Portland. Of course, the uh, NBA is starting up. The Portland Trailblazers have been playing a few games, recently beat the Lakers. That's a good. Uh, that's always good here in Portland. Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you've got uh, the karaoke from hell going on tonight at uh, Dante's downtown, I understand. I do, and we are doing an earlier show tonight, so it's going to be starting at 9.30 for anybody listening in the greater Portland area. All right, check that out. Dante's downtown at uh, 3rd and West Burnside, and uh, the uh, Who's the Ross program also going on. Tell folks uh, about the next showing for Who's the Ross. So we will be on uh, this Tuesday at Dante's uh, with our annual uh, turkey show. I believe we'll be bringing back our character of Daniel Plainview in There Will Be Turkey. Uh, a dead-on impersonation that Aaron does of the Daniel Day-Lewis character. So it should be really good. <laughs> and then uh, before too long, our annual Tatas for Toys show, where we raise money for Dornbecker's Children's Hospital, will be coming up in December. Last year, we raised $3,000 to buy toys for the kids. So this year, we're going to hopefully break that. You guys, check it out. If you're here in the Portland area on a Monday or a Tuesday night, just go on down to Dante's downtown, uh, visit with Bacon Dan no matter what's happening, and afterwards you can just walk across the street and get a voodoo donut, and you can erase everything off your Portland bucket list in one stop. Oh, absolutely. All right, so Dan, tell us about today's uh, Roots Monday tune, a good classic punk band for us. Yeah, so this week we've got Poison Heart by the Ramones. Uh, this is definitely a different sound for them, a different pace to the normal kind of Ramon song. Uh, it was written by uh, the ex-bassist Dee Dee Ramon, who we all know had his own issues. And basically, this song was written for the band in exchange for bailing uh, him out of jail. <laughs> uh, this was on the uh, Pet Cemetery 2 soundtrack. I personally love this song. It's just a really fun song. Uh, it's one that we're actually working on trying to get on to karaoke from hell oh very good all right and uh for folks if you don't know karaoke from hell is uh karaoke done with a live band and what they've got how many tracks now that they cover uh almost 600 almost 600 that's an amazing cover band man you got to check that out all right going on tonight 9 30 at dante's downtown uh west burnside and third and uh, bacon dan will be down there give him your name he'll get you on stage This is the Ramones with Poison Heart. Dan, thanks for calling in, and we'll see you later. Sounds good, buddy.
Russ Belville Show is proudly sponsored by the Marijuana Business Association. The MJBA, called by NBC News the Cannabis Chamber of Commerce, is the fastest-growing business association in the fastest-growing industry in America. I've been working with the MJBA for years, and I personally invite you to join the MJBA. MJBA also publishes the popular MJ Headline News on Facebook and the MJNewsNetwork.com and Marijuana Channel 1 on YouTube. Visit MJBA.net for more details. The Fingerboard Extension has fretted instruments to enhance your creativity. It has new and used guitars and banjos from beginning to high class. The Fingerboard Extension has National Resophonic, Hassan Dalton, Larrabee, Heritage and Recording King guitars, and Mike Ramsey, Wildwood, Gold Tone and Recording King banjos. The Fingerboard Extension also has drum stuff, used gear, and parts. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension, downtown Corvallis, Oregon at 120 Northwest 2nd, or check out the inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com and reverb.com. Step into the future every Tuesday night with Electric Bob's Boogaloo, our weekly electronic music jam. Electric Bob brings you the latest house, trance, dubstep, and other electronic music from the freshest DJs and producers. It's every Tuesday night at 8 p.m. Pacific with replays weekends at 11 p.m. on 420radio.org. Your connection to quality cannabis insurance services is spelled K-A-E-R-C-H-E-R. That's Karcher Insurance. We have worked with ventures like cannabis for over 60 years. We're proud to represent over 50 companies with tailor-made cannabis plans for owners just like you to insure your product, your plants, and your pursuits. K-A-E-R-C-H-E-R spells out their full-service insurance services, ranging from commercial to bonds, to personal, from life to health, and more. Contact the team at KarcherInsurance.com and let our experience work for you. That's K-A-E-R-C-H-E-R Insurance.com. Contact Karen and a team at Karcher Insurance at 1-844-421-3560. That's 844-421-3560. Welcome back, everybody. 33 after the hour here at Rolla J Studios in beautiful legal potland, Oregon, where it is cold and rainy. We are definitely in late November and uh, quite a change of pace from uh, the sunny and warm mid 80 degree days in Jamaica couple weeks ago. It was even nice in D.C. while I was there. Got a chance to go to the uh, National Mall. I visited the museum. No, not the museum. The museum. Like, as in news museum. Yes, they have a news museum. It's amazing. I recommend it highly if you go to Washington, D.C. Of course, I do most everything highly. But uh, definitely worth checking out. There's an exhibit there of some of the, well, all of the Pulitzer Prize winning photographs and the stories behind them. It just take your breath away. And some of them you recognize like the flag at Iwo Jima and, and so forth. But some of them I had never seen before and they were just compelling as hell. An exhibit on nine 11, an exhibit on the Berlin wall with actual, you know, 12 foot tall chunks of the Berlin wall, all graffitied up on the West side and completely clean on the East side. Very interesting. Uh, there was an exhibit on the assassination of Abraham Lincoln and how it was like one of the first breaking news events since 
Telegraph finally made it possible to get news faster than sending it on a piece of paper on a boy on a horse <laughs> to get to the uh, news desk. You could actually telegraph it. Uh, there was a, a display on the reporting of the Vietnam War, how it changed and shaped uh, the fighting there as Americans got to see bloodshed on their televisions live for the first time ever. It, it was an amazing, an amazing place, and uh, it was very fun to go there. I also had the chance to go to the Martin Luther King Jr. Memorial. Uh, see, I've been to the National Mall a couple times, so I've already done like the Capitol and the Washington Monument and the Lincoln Memorial. So this uh, Vietnam Wall, definitely the Vietnam Wall you have to see. Um, but this time I went to the uh, Martin Luther King Memorial. It's kind of across the street from the mall by the uh, water. And just what an elegant memorial. The beautiful uh, block uh, sculpture of Martin Luther King and some of his select quotes on the wall behind him. And it was just uh, very, very touching. And that reminds me that back at the museum, there was another exhibit, which was uh, Civil Rights at 50, which described uh, how the news covered uh, the emerging civil rights movement. Uh, up through the, uh, the the Bloody Sunday March on the uh, the Edmund Pettus Bridge in 1965, and there was something there that just really it really brought it all home to me, and it was a cast iron replica of the jail cell door from the Birmingham jail that Dr. Martin Luther King sat in. And, of course, wrote his treatise, you know, Letter from a Birmingham Jail, uh, that I quote extensively in, in a lot of my writings when I talk about unjust laws and why we fight against marijuana prohibition. We fight against the drug war because we have a moral obligation to disobey unjust laws and that an injustice anywhere is an injustice everywhere, that we have to fight these laws, even if they don't directly or proportionally affect us. So the jail cell door is there, and it's the replica of, of, of his jail cell. And it was interesting to me because I've, I've been to jail, and I'd never experienced a door like that, a jail with actual bars and the little slot, you know, where you put the tray through for, for lunch and such. I've always been in jails that had, you know, just metal doors and plexiglass and concrete, you know, modern jails. But this is a replica of a, you know, 1950s jail. And I... I placed my hands on the bars, you know, and, and the bars weren't completely uh, sidrilical either. They had kind of like a ridge on either side uh, of the bar, you know, 180 degrees opposed. I kind of run my fingers up and down this ridge and I'm feeling the cold bars and how solid they are. And it just hit me all at once to think that, you know, that's what Dr. King might have done, you know, felt, you know, felt those same kind of bars and worried about his wife and his kids, you know, under the threat of, you know, possible attack, you know, at these times when they were fighting for these things. And it, it just, it got to me all at once. And it was just an amazing, amazing feeling, amazing uh, revelation and, and understanding. I, I it, it's I, the longer I do this, the more I feel this 
legalization thing, this marijuana legalization thing, this drug war in general, and even broader beyond the drug war, the drug testing and, and, and even more than that, the pharmaceutical industry and, and, and prisons and mass incarceration and prison labor and asset forfeiture and all these things that just become too big to bear. It's just how is this not the civil rights struggle of our time? How is this not something that everybody from the left or from the right or for no political ideology whatsoever can't see as the most un-American thing, one of the most un-American things we're in, engaged in. It, it it really, it's it's really starting to blend for me. I'm really starting to feel it um, as bigger than just whether or not you can smoke a joint to get high and not get busted. It's so much bigger than that. And I hope you feel that too as you're listening. You're listening to uh, Toker Talk Radio. I'm Radical Russ here at CannabisRadio.com. And I uh, wanted to bring up uh, one of these points about the drug war, and that is asset forfeiture. And there's an interesting uh, story out that uh, came from uh, The Forecaster, uh, a blog out there that noted some of the figures in our war on drugs. And we've talked about asset forfeiture on this show before. And of course, asset forfeiture is when the cops say that you committed a crime. In fact, they don't even really have to say you committed a crime, but they can take your money and your assets, your car, your home, based on the theory that it is illegal. It created a crime. It caused a crime. You bought your car thanks to the proceeds of illegal activity. And then the car or the house or the cash Goes on trial. Literally, you have cases, the United States versus $533,000 in cash. As if the cash could testify or, you know, <laughs> but really, it's literally a charge against the property. And the property is guilty until proven innocent. How much more un-American can you get, right? Guilty until proven innocent. You got to prove that it's innocent. And this is civil forfeiture. This isn't criminal we're talking about. This isn't you committed a crime and then they took your stuff. This is civil. They don't even have to prove you committed a crime. You don't have to be arrested for anything. This civil forfeiture laws are allowing cops to take your house because, oh, your kid had a heroin problem. We found some heroin in the house. Bah, drug dealer, illegal proceeds. We're going to take your house or take your car. Pull you over. You've got some, you got too much cash on you. Oh, we'll take the cash. Thanks very much. We'll take the car too because we found uh, some seeds and stems. Hell, sometimes they don't even find anything. They just find a whole bunch of cash and they say, "Well, because you have so much cash, you obviously must be a drug dealer." Couldn't be that you won the lottery. Couldn't be that it's money for a down payment for something or anything like that. Nope, you have to be a criminal. So. When we take a look at some of the statistics for last year, for crime, for burglary, the total in the United States for burglary, criminals stealing your stuff, was $3.9 billion with a B. $3.9 billion were the stuff that criminals stole last year. U.S. law enforcement officials, asset forfeiture, billion last year. The cops took more property from Americans than the burglars did. 
in 2014. The cops are stealing more than the criminals. Now, the the criminal side doesn't include larceny, doesn't include embezzlement, right? We're just talking about burglars stealing your stuff, right? So that would affect it a little bit. But also, the $4.5 billion is after they make payouts to the victims, right? And we're including Bernie Madoff, right? The That whole uh, Ponzi scheme guy. He was $1.7 billion of it. So, you know, there are some caveats. But the cops are stealing more from the people than the criminals are. If that's not an indictment or system, I don't know what is. America's double R7 secret agent of progressive change. The name's Belleville, Russ Belleville. This is the Russ Belleville Show. Thanks for listening to us live here on CannabisRadio.com. All you live listeners, make sure you stay tuned because coming up at the top of the hour, Stoner Jesus here will bless you with all his stony goodness and benevolence. Stoner Jesus here on Cannabis Radio, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, 8 p.m. I'm sorry. Yeah, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. (laughs) I've been in too many time zones, man. (laughs) Hey, we'll be right back to wrap things up with uh, our tinfoil hat segment. Was Ohio's pot vote stolen? This is Radical Russ encouraging you to take a look at the Weed Blog every day. Johnny Green and the staff at the Weed Blog are on top of all the latest developments in the fight to end marijuana prohibition nationwide. You can even get the Weed Blog on your smartphone by installing the Weed Blog app for iPhone and Android. If it's about weed, it's on the Weed Blog, including my original writing. So don't delay. Read the Weed Blog today. Despite strong public support for medical cannabis, decriminalization, and legalization in Georgia, the state spends $121 million every year to arrest, prosecute, and imprison Georgians for simple possession. Each year, the state of Georgia spends less on driver services, agriculture, and forestry combined. What else can $121 million a year do in Georgia? With that much money, the state could hire and keep 3,000 more teachers, improve roads and bridges, provide tax relief for small businesses, repair aging sewage systems, or lower taxes. But right now, that's millions of dollars of your tax money wasted on failed enforcement. Tell your representative you're tired of wasteful spending and ask them to end cannabis prohibition. Join the conversation at www.peachtreenormal.org. Peachtree Normal is a proud affiliate of Normal, the national organization for the reform of marijuana laws. MJWellness.com, the largest medical marijuana community in the world. Connect with thousands of patients, doctors, industry leaders, and businesses through shared personal experiences along our worldwide network. Discover new therapies and benefits with content tailored to you. Come grow your network on MJWellness.com. You're not alone. Your wellness matters. Learn, live, and thrive. Check out mjwellness.com today. All right, welcome back, everybody. Wrapping things up here on the Russ Belleville Show's Toker Talk Radio. 
Going back to Ohio for just a moment here, where there's a new post up on Alternet. Expert says Ohio's vote against pot legalization was statistically impossible. The conclusion that the vote was stolen is almost inescapable. Now, this comes from uh, Ron Byman, the assistant professor of graduate business administration at Benedictine University. He teaches economics and statistics there. The Columbus Free Press asked him to calculate the odds of the official vote count for issue three. Now, remember, issue three lost by about two to one. It was a 65-35 that it lost by. Compared to the tracking polls that showed that it was almost a tie or more uh, likely a win for Ohio issue three, Ron Byman said, quote, the results are not only impossible, but unfathomable. So uh, the reason being is he says that the um, undecided voters should have broken 50 50 half would vote. No half would vote. Yes. And that the referendum, the chances of it losing two to one are one in a million. Show that even if you assumed every single undecided voter in the polls voted against issue three, it's still statistically impossible to accept the official secretary of state tally, according to this professor. He he cites a couple of pre-election tracking polls, Zogby's poll. Uh, which showed a, uh, where was that result? Yeah, so it showed that it was going to be a close uh, win. Uh, There was also a poll done by the Kitchen Group that showed a close election. And they're doubting now that you could have such a result, a two-to-one loss, when the polls were showing about a 50-50 vote. I don't know. I think it's possible. I think it's possible because the polls don't necessarily, you know, when they say likely voters versus people who really go out and vote, that could shape it. I don't know. It's worth investigation, but I think think you need a little bit more than referring to a couple of polls. You know, extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence, so we'll keep our eye on it. But folks, that's all the time we got for today. We got to get out of here early so that uh, we can clean up the studio for Stoner Jesus. He's coming up at the top of the hour to bless you with stony goodness. For everyone here at CannabisRadio.com, I'm Radical Russ. Thanks for joining us. And until next time, take care of each other, tokers. This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you giant, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you giant, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you giant, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth. Mickey Norris has been an activist for drug policy reform since 1989 when she formed the American Hemp Council, along with her husband, Chris Conrad. In 1993, she and Chris moved to Amsterdam to design exhibits for and curate the Hash Marijuana Hemp Museum. As Community Action Coordinator for Californians for Medical Rights, she helped organize petitioners to qualify the Medical Marijuana Initiative Proposition 215 for the 1996 ballot. 
Mickey has co-authored the books Shattered Lives, Portraits from America's Drug War, and Human Rights and the U.S. Drug War, and sponsors the website www.hr95.org. Mickey was instrumental in the recent passage of municipal ordinances in Santa Cruz, Santa Monica, and Santa Barbara. And it's my pleasure to welcome her to the audio stash today, Mickey Norris. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, thank you. Mickey, you've been out on the front lines of what was a lot of success last week. First, tell us about the importance of these municipal initiatives. Well, on Tuesday, we were very excited to see that the voters affirmed what we were working on for the last year and a half, which makes uh, their initiatives that make marijuana offenses law enforcement's lowest priority. They have a little bit different twist for each town. We did this in Santa Monica, Santa Barbara, and Santa Cruz, and they won overwhelmingly. So, you know, we're just so excited. Now, what is it about these deprioritization ordinances that can really have immediate positive impact on the communities that pass them? These are measures that protect the rest of us. I mean, medical marijuana is a, is a provision for a certain class of people. This is for a broader class of people, for adults, all adults. Uh, that will hopefully stop the uh, arrest, prosecution, and incarceration in Santa Monica and Santa Barbara for uh, personal adult use, but in Santa Cruz for all marijuana offenses. The significance is, is that uh, we're hoping to get our message across that this has been uh, the marijuana war as it's, it's being operated and, and uh, put forth is a waste of our resources, of law enforcement resources, when they have many other things on their plates, lots of violent and serious crime out there that they should be dealing with, that that marijuana offenders are not the problem and they shouldn't be concentrating any of the resources or tax dollars on it. I think that message really resonated with the voters on Tuesday. And when we when we talk about deprioritization, this is a directive to law enforcement. Some of these included an oversight committee. Where does that idea come from? That came from, uh, well, a lot of these, well, this whole effort generated from not only Seattle's I-75 uh, that passed in 2003, but Oakland's Measure Z, which passed in 2004. They both include some oversight because you, you can't just pass these things and let them let them be. You have to make sure that they are implemented so that we actually can track whether or not we have uh, stopped the arrest and prosecution and incarceration of these people. So uh, it came from the from the idea that 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 the, the measure needs some oversight to make sure that the, the cities are in compliance and that the police are following the policy. Mickey, much of the law enforcement community's opposition in California was centered on statements that they don't really arrest recreational marijuana smokers anyway. Is that true? Uh, do cops in California really turn the other way when they see someone smoking a joint? If you look at the arrest statistics, people are still getting arrested. There are a few hundred in um, Santa Cruz and Santa Monica. I believe Santa Barbara also had a couple hundred arrests. So it means that every time that they're arresting somebody for a marijuana offense, this, this officer is not available for the other offenses like domestic violence or robberies or, you know, more serious crimes than that even. So uh, we found that that while they may be low priorities, they're, they're not the lowest. And, and in our thinking, any amount of money being spent on prosecuting uh, these nonviolent marijuana offenders is a waste of 
of resources and and these cities are are hurting for for money in their budgets at this time so we're helping them to codify this into a, a policy I, I know many of the the police departments have said yeah well, it's already a low pri- priority we're not doing it but but when you look at the statistics and that's what we're hoping to also find out with the oversight of the implementation is how many people are being arrested uh, how many people have been arrested and what how old are these people what is their race we we hope to find out if there's any racial profiling going on in these communities if there's uh, certain targeted groups. We should find that that kind of information out. I think it would be real useful uh, overall for um, for our efforts and also just to track the the kinds of arrests that are still happening. Mickey, it strikes me that these ordinances create an important liaison between the community and law enforcement. It's a level of interaction the rest of us do not enjoy as far as oversight with our local police. Well, we've included them in our in the implementation side of things, because we think that it's important to get their input so that they're on the same page with us. Unfortunately, during the campaign, and especially in Santa Monica, the police did come out opposing it. They didn't put as much uh, of their uh, money behind it as as we were expecting, fortunately, in Santa Monica, which ended up... uh, Coming up with our with our highest vote of all the initiatives, we were, we were really surprised by that because they they did um, express their concerns. There was some hostility in the in the local newspaper in Santa Monica, and the elected officials were a little bit nervous about coming out and in support. So we we did this, you know, really passed it with the support of of the commu- community and the voters from the bottom up rather than the top down but we do welcome the police to to come to the table and and express their concerns and we want to work with them to come up with with good guidelines that'll work for the city to help them do their job because we you know we're in favor of police doing their job and going after violent and serious criminals we just don't want them wasting their their time uh, going after nonviolent marijuana offenders. Also, Mickey, you've been a leading activist for 15 years in California. And during this election, a lot has been made on the broader gains of women getting elected this midterm election season. But in speaking with Laura, Kate, and Nikki there in California, and Angela Goodhope in Missoula, is this an important new trend for women in politics and for women to be the face of the initiatives, to be leaders in grassroots activism? I hope so. Uh, these are the people who who stepped up to the plate in our in our campaigns. I'm real excited that to up and down the board, uh, we had. Um, all of our campaign coordinators were were women and mostly young women in their 20s and uh, our political consultants Susan Stevenson from the Next Generation Political Consulting Group who also did Measure Z in Oakland oversaw the whole uh California effort I consulted with Susan and assisted her in, her, in the efforts and uh Barbara Grover a, a political consultant from Santa Monica area also oversaw that one I'm real excited about women Taking the lead, I think it, maybe it was helpful in, in putting out a, another face. Hearing this message from women, and I'll tell you, is very important uh, because we are perceived as as people who are concerned about our families and our communities and want the best for everybody and nurturing and the, the whole compassionate thing. But uh, the, I'll tell you, these women are so competent. It, it was really 
an honor and a privilege working working with them, and I, I'm very excited about uh, more women getting on board with the, with this effort. It is an energizing group, Mickey. All of these coordinators are so articulate and passionate about the issue. Also, the initiatives there in California all passed with over 60% of the vote. Was that level of support a surprise or expected? It did surprise me with the level of support, although I, I have a new respect for uh, polling. I must say that our, our polls showed that, that they were going to uh, come out with very favorable votes. I was very nervous about Santa Monica because it it was a real challenge to uh, to get our endorsements there, and it was uh, and because of the the opposition by the police officers association that seemed to influence some of the the elected officials. But um, our polling was positive in all, in all three areas. So I was but I was most surprised by the Santa Monica vote, but. Um, Santa Barbara uh, is considered to be a little bit more conservative than the other areas, and they came up almost 65% too. So that was really uh, a pleasant surprise, although the people who lived there weren't as surprised as, as those of us who are from the outside of that, that area. <laughs> they they seemed to know their community well enough, and they, they said, we want to do it here because we think it could pass. And that passed with almost just about 65%. Introducing the YMCA. Sure, you know the Y for a swim or a game of hoops, but we're more than that. We're a cause. When you take a jump shot at the Y, someone else is getting job training. Practice yoga as a team practices her leadership skills. We give people of all ages, incomes, and backgrounds a chance to learn, grow, and thrive. So while you might think of the Y as the place for lifting weights, we're also about lifting entire communities. That's the Y. We're so much more. Visit ymca.net slash more. Six months from now, I'm going to be a dad. So there's one thing I want to change about me right now. I've tried before, but this time I'll do it for me and the baby. I'll quit smoking for good. Most people don't succeed at first. It often takes several tries. The important thing is to never quit on yourself. Visit quitterinu.org or call 1-800-LUNG-USA for tools and tips from the American Lung Association. We support the Quitter in You. They came from every corner of the country, from small towns and big cities. But they all shared one thing in common. They belonged to a family called Marines, a tough and determined few dedicated to protecting everything we hold sacred. And still, they come. Celebrate the history of those proud few who have earned the title Marine. Countless victims of human trafficking walk among us, invisible until now. The Blue Campaign provides a unified voice for those who work to combat human trafficking. It's time to open our eyes. Learn what you can do by visiting dhs.gov slash blue campaign. Young people everywhere are making a difference. Special Olympics has changed my life. What I'm doing is for a great cause. And it's not about disabilities, but it's about celebrating their abilities. I've made a difference. Now it's your turn to make a difference. Get involved at specialolympics.org. Welcome 420 Radio fans to the Activism Hour. I'm Russ Belville, and I founded 420 Radio intending to provide a public radio platform for the hardworking volunteer activists I meet every month from all across the country and around the world. 
The Activism Hour features videos from the people who make up the grassroots organizations fighting for an end to adult marijuana prohibition. Please learn more about these groups and send them your donations to bring the dream of cannabis freedom to all 50 states and across the globe. Today, you'll see videos from Normal, the national organization for the reform of marijuana laws at normal.org, Law Enforcement Against Prohibition at leap.cc, Students for Sensible Drug Policy at ssdp.org, The Marijuana Policy Project at mpp.org, Americans for Safe Access at safeaccessnow.org, High Times Magazine at hightimes.com, River Rock, Colorado at riverrockcolorado.com, and magicalbutter.com, makers of the Magical Butter Botanical Extractor. Now, on to the program, and thank you for your support of marijuana activism and 420radio.org. Chef Jody Galliano from MagicalButter.com. Today, we're going to show you how to make maple bacon butter sauce. This is a simple recipe, versatile, and really delicious. I think everybody's going to love this one. The ingredients we're going to need for this recipe is, of course, magical butter, thick-cut bacon, some grade B organic maple syrup, some Madagascar vanilla bean paste, and your favorite bourbon. Now let's move over to the stove to start this recipe. The first thing that we're gonna do is cut our bacon into strips and get our pan on medium heat. Let's simply put our bacon into the pan and let it cook until it's about halfway done. It'll look raw, but believe me, you need it this way. Now we're gonna line a bowl with some paper towels and now that our bacon's halfway cooked, we're gonna put it into the paper towels and try to remove as much fat as we can. Now let's wipe all the excess bacon fat off of our pan Put our pan back on the stove on medium heat. Add your magical butter and bacon to the pan and cook for an additional five minutes. Now that the bacon is starting to get nice and golden brown, we're gonna add our sugar, cook for two more minutes, and then add our vanilla bean paste. We're gonna cook this for about two to three more minutes, and now we're gonna add our bourbon. Oh man, I wish you could smell this. You're gonna let all of your bourbon cook out, and then you're gonna add your maple syrup and you're gonna stir it and cook for about five more minutes until it reduces by about 25%. Now, just to make sure that bourbon flavor is in there, we're gonna add about another teaspoon to a tablespoon, remove it from our heat, and now we're ready to serve. This recipe is awesome on so many things. It is incredible on pancakes, Belgian waffles, or ice cream. It's limitless. It's so easy and so delicious, you're gonna wanna put it on shoe leather. For this and all of our other recipes, Click on to this link. I'm Chef Joey Galliano from MagicalButter.com. As always, thank you for watching. And don't forget, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Cheers to goodness. Magical Butter. Magical Butter. Magical Butter. Magical Butter. Magical Butter. The son of a Polish immigrant who grew up in a Brooklyn tenement. He went to public schools, then college where the work of his life began, fighting injustice and inequality, speaking truth to power. He moved to Vermont, won election and praise as one of America's best mayors. 
In Congress, he stood up for working families and for principle, opposing the Iraq War, supporting veterans. Now he's taking on Wall Street and a corrupt political system, funded by over a million contributions, tackling climate change to create clean energy jobs, fighting for living wages, equal pay, and tuition-free public colleges. People are sick and tired of establishment politics, and they want real change. Bernie Sanders, husband, father, grandfather, an honest leader, building a movement with you to give us a future to believe in. I'm Bernie Sanders, and I approve this message. Today, we're going to show you how to make Fruity Rice Krispie Treats, the magical butter way. I'm Chef Joey Galliano from MagicalButter.com, and today's infusion is Magical Butter. Make an infused butter in your Magical Butter machine is super easy. Just put your ingredients in, press a few buttons, and you're on your way. Click on to this link to view our video on how to make Magical Butter. To get your very own Magical Butter machine, go to MagicalButter.com and use the promo code MBCHEF to get $30 off of your purchase. Okay, let's get to this recipe. It's super easy. It's only going to take about 10 minutes. We're going to start by putting a large pot on our stove on medium-low heat. Now we're going to add 5 tablespoons of our magical butter and let it melt completely. Okay, now we're going to add our marshmallows. As soon as you add your marshmallows, begin to stir them so you get a nice coat of butter on all of your marshmallows. Then continue to stir until the marshmallows and butter become one delicious mixture. Start to pour your Fruity Rice Krispies into your melted marshmallow mix and stir until your Rice Krispies are completely coated. Pour your mixture into an 8x8 parchment paper lined pan and spread your mixture evenly. Let your Rice Krispie Treats cool for at least one hour, then cut your Rice Krispie Treats into 2 inch by 2 inch squares and you're ready to serve. Feel free to experiment, use regular Rice Krispies or add some chocolate and chocolate chip and make chocolate thunder Rice Krispie Treats. To view this and all of our other incredible recipes, click onto this link. I'm Chef Joey Galliano from MagicalButter.com and as always, thank you for watching. And don't forget, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Cheers to goodness, everybody. Magical butter, magical butter, magical butter, magical butter, magical butter, magical butter. Hey, what's up, everyone? It's Herb Thrasher, and you're listening to 420 Radio. Bongs up! The son of a Polish immigrant who grew up in a Brooklyn tenement, he went to public schools, then college, where the work of his life began, fighting injustice and inequality, speaking truth to power. He moved to Vermont, won election and praise as one of America's best mayors. In Congress, he stood up for working families and for principle, opposing the Iraq War, supporting veterans. Now he's taking on Wall Street and a corrupt political system, funded by over a million contributions, tackling climate change to create clean energy jobs, fighting for living wages, equal pay, and tuition-free public colleges. People are sick and tired of establishment politics, and they want real change. Bernie Sanders, husband, father, grandfather, an honest leader, building a movement with you to give us a future to believe in. I'm Bernie Sanders, and I approve this message. Today, we're going to show you how to make my mother's marinara sauce, except with a magical butter twist. Our infusion today is going to be magical butter olive oil. Making cannabis-infused butters, oils, and tinctures is super easy in the Magical Butter Machine. Simply put your ingredients in, press a couple of buttons, and you're on your way. 
To get your very own Magical Butter machine, go to MagicalButter.com and use the promo code MBCHEF to get $30 off your purchase. To see a video on how easy it is to make Magical Butter cooking oil, click on to this link. The first thing that we're going to do is put our pan on medium-high heat and add our Magical Butter olive oil. Now that your olive oil is heated, add your onions, stir, and cook for 10 minutes. Now it's time to add your garlic and seasoning, stir, and cook for an additional two minutes. Okay, it's Magical Butter time. Start by adding your oil and onion mixture, then add 28 ounces of San Marzano tomatoes, one half cup of Italian-style chicken broth, your tomato paste, and one large bushel of fresh basil. Now we're going to secure our top back onto our Magical Butter machine, set the temperature for 160 degrees Fahrenheit, and set the time for one hour. Your Magical Butter machine is going to heat, chop, and stir, and leave you with a silky smooth sauce. After your cycle is complete, remove the head of your machine, and your sauce is ready to serve. Thanks, Mom, for showing me how to make this sauce. And thank you to Magical Butter for making it so easy. Try this sauce on some homemade pizza. Put it on some delicious spaghetti and meatballs. Or even try it on a sausage and pepper sandwich. You can't go wrong with this marinara sauce. For this and all of our other great recipes, click on to this link. I'm Chef Joey Galliano from MagicalButter.com. And as always, thank you for watching. And please, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Cheers to goodness. Magical butter, magical butter, magical butter. Keep your cannabis cravings under control. Feed your mind with CannabisRadio.com. Imagine life without taxes. Let New Era Certified Public Accountants, NewEraCPAs.com, handle your cannabis 280E and tax strategy. Get your business prepared with New Era CPAs Cannabis Finance Boot Camp. NewEraCPAs.com, with years of experience in the industry, we are one of the nation's leading accounting firms for growers, dispensaries, and ancillary companies from Washington to California. NewEraCPAs.com. Today we're going to show you how to make Divine Swine, cannabis-infused chocolate-covered bacon, the magical butter way. I'm Chef Joey Galliano from MagicalButter.com. And the infusion we're going to use today is Magical Butter Coconut Oil. Making infused coconut oil is super easy in the Magical Butter machine. Simply put your ingredients in, press a couple of buttons, and you have magically infused coconut oil. Click onto this link to see how easy it is to make Magical Butter cooking oil. To get your very own Magical Butter machine, go to MagicalButter.com and use the promo code MBCHEF to save yourself $30 off your purchase. Let's make this swine divine and get started with that bacon. The first thing we're going to do is put one half cup of brown sugar into a small mixing bowl. Then add one half tablespoon of cayenne powder, one half tablespoon of pink Himalayan salt, and one half tablespoon of fresh ground pepper, and whisk thoroughly. Next, begin to put your bacon onto a sheet of parchment paper and coat with your sugar mixture. Gently rub that sugary goodness into the bacon, place on a baking sheet, and place it into your preheated oven at 400 degrees. Cook for 25 to 30 minutes or until it's just the way you like it. While your bacon's in the oven, we're going to make some sensual chocolate. We're going to start making our chocolate by creating a double boiler. Once your double boiler is up to temperature, begin by adding one quarter cup of super potent coconut oil. Then add one tablespoon of super fine sugar, one tablespoon of special dark cocoa powder, one tablespoon of vanilla bean paste, and one half tablespoon of powdered lecithin. Now whisk thoroughly until your sugar is completely dissolved. This should take about three to five minutes. Now add two and two-thirds cups of bittersweet chocolate chips 
and stir until it's silky smooth. Dunk each piece of bacon into your sensual chocolate and place on a fresh sheet of parchment paper. Let cool, plate, and enjoy this divine swine. This recipe is great as an appetizer, a snack, or to share with your special someone. To view this and all of our other incredible recipes, click onto this link. I'm Chef Joey Galliano from MagicalButter.com. As always, thank you for watching. And please, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Cheers to goodness. Hey, it's Herb Thrasher, and this is 420radio.org. This trio of bills marks the furthest any legislation has ever gone in establishing a strong, comprehensive regulatory framework for medical cannabis that the state of California needs and that it deserves. For nearly 20 years, California has allowed for the use of medical cannabis by patients with certain health conditions. However, the state has never properly regulated the medical cannabis industry. This has resulted in Californians living in the Wild West of cannabis. There are no testing standards required for medical cannabis. There is inadequate enforcement for illicit activities such as illegal grows and diversion of product out of state. The environment is being neglected and destroyed and water has been inappropriately diverted. But with this legislation, much of that will end. The framework we have established sets up the Bureau of Medical Marijuana Regulation as an oversight agency under the Department of Consumer Affairs. Under the bill's architecture, the Bureau, along with the Department of Food and Agriculture and Department of Public Health, are responsible for all licensing, including for cultivation, manufacturing, dispensing, testing, distribution, and transport, as well as of, as all of the related necessary regulations. They'll be preparing those as well. This legislation will solve many of the problems that we see throughout the state related to medical cannabis. Our patients will be safer because with this legislation, the Medical Board of California can crack down on physicians who are inappropriately recommending cannabis and strict testing and labeling standards for all manufactured products, including edibles, would be required. Our families and the public will be safer because this legislation provides funding for law enforcement through grant programs to crack down on illicit activity. Our environment will be healthier and our natural resources protected because there will be funding for environmental cleanup and high standards and regulations for the appropriate cultivation of marijuana. Medical cannabis uh, in California has been legal for a long time, absent the benefits of regulations. And we know from our research and from our experience that sensible regulations for medical cannabis preserve safe and legal access for patients and communities. They protect those patients from harm, and they reduce crime, and they reduce complaints. And so that's a win-win-win for everybody involved in the process of medical cannabis. And so we're so happy that California patients have, have, are now going to be a, have an opportunity to enjoy those proven benefits of regulations regulation and medical cannabis. And so we call on the governor to sign these important bills and to make that a reality in California for the patients who are counting on, on these regulations to ensure their safe, legal, and dignified access to medical cannabis. These bills maintain local control. Local governments will still have the power to create ordinances that go above and beyond the regulatory floor that these bills provide for standards for the public's health, safety, and environment. I'm proud to say that in the legislature, we had a strong bipartisan support for our legislation throughout the entire year, with well over two-thirds of the members of both houses 
supporting the measures. In addition, the stakeholders who touch all aspects of the industry, from patients to local governments, from law enforcement to medical cannabis businesses, from unions to state agencies, and more, were deeply engaged in our legislative process from the first day we introduced the legislation last December. I'm proud to say that on day one of this year's legislative session, the Assembly put a stake in the ground and said, we're going to provide the solution that California needs with respect to providing a comprehensive regulatory regime for medical cannabis, for the medical cannabis industry, and we're going to do it this year. With these bills, the Assembly has delivered on that promise. We now ask that the governor sign this critical trio of bills. Imagine life without taxes. Let New Era Certified Public Accountants, NewEraCPAs.com, handle your cannabis 280E and tax strategy. Get your business prepared with New Era CPA's Cannabis Finance Boot Camp. NewEraCPAs.com, with years of experience in the industry, we are one of the nation's leading accounting firms for growers, dispensaries, and ancillary companies from Washington to California. NewEraCPAs.com access as well. And unfortunately, Florida passed this CBD-only bill, and they're still struggling to, to be able to help their children. So her daughter, Dahlia, had brain cancer. No more. All right. So my daughter, Dahlia, was diagnosed with a very aggressive form of brain cancer two years ago. And every child diagnosed within a similar time frame of her is now dead. The only difference between Dahlia and any other protocol is cannabis. Our zip code should not say whether or, or not we're allowed to alleviate our own child's suffering. I met these other parents. We have here a plethora of different uh, medical disabilities, disorders, and diseases from drug A to type 1 diabetes. Cannabis is known to help all of these disorders. And, um, you know, my own daughter's oncologist wouldn't discuss cannabis with me. We were in Tennessee at St. Jude, and her doctor didn't know anything about cannabis, but she did know it was federally illegal, and she did not want to discuss it. After six months of Dahlia being on cannabis, her doctor left St. Jude to go run the research, all of the research in Georgia. And she emailed me and said, when I saw what that plant did for Dahlia, as a doctor, knowing that all of our medicines come from plants, I could not look the other way. So we're here fighting for our own children, but also for our vets. For anyone who suffers from any ailment that makes their life unlivable, or unenjoyable even. You know, cannabis should be available. And we really believe that these disorders and diseases do not discriminate. Medicines don't discriminate either. Whether it be from age or diagnosis, this medicine should be available to anyone who wants to utilize it. And we will fight until we see that happen across the 50 United States. Thank you. Get .buzz. is the internet platform that fuels community interest, excitement, and new experiences. .buzz is the premier online destination for internet users seeking the latest news on a variety of topics. 
DotBuzz appeals to groups active in blogging, communications, journalism, advertising, and marketing. DotBuzz offers registrants a stronger alternative to the shrinking namespace of existing top-level domain names, such as .com, .net, and .org. Get your name now at get.buzz. I'm the executive director for AGT Normal. Um, Ten years ago, my aunt had lung cancer and she had to go to the hospital. She can't go off. She had to go to the doctor and receive radiation treatment for her lung. And after the radiation was over and the cancer was gone, her lungs were fried. And the doctor came back and admitted that um, the cancer that she had wasn't worth the, the radiation treatment. So after that, decided that I would take a job with Pentex uh, plant. We make nuclear weapons. And the government can own these nuclear weapons, and we can't use cannabis. So I had to walk away from family and friends. I had to sign a piece of paper saying that I wouldn't associate with none of you guys. And that if I got busted, or you know, if my wife got busted, that I would automatically lose my job. Six and a half more years went by, and I started watching the corruption of Amarillo City Council, the Potter County Attorney, um, hell, even the um, district attorney there, Randall Sims. They have arrested 634 people last year, and that caused Amarillo taxpayers over $500,000. I know, right? And then Scott Brumley says that he doesn't know how he'll... He's costing us money. Anyway, we found a kind of loophole in that. Um, we have a guy that's running for Potter County Attorney. We have a guy that's running for Potter County DA. We have a guy that's going to run for the mayor. We have a guy that's going to run for um, Potter County Commissioner's Court. And that's why I'm here today to let you guys know the vote does count. Because you guys are going to watch what happens in Amarillo. And I promise you, without a doubt, we're going to be the first city in Texas to completely decriminalize this cannabis. And that's really all I have to say is you guys have to vote. You have to guys you guys have to get active. And that's all I got. Hey, what's up? It's Herb Thrasher and you're listening to 420 Radio. The Russ Belville Show is proudly sponsored by the Marijuana Business Association. The MJBA, called by NBC News the Cannabis Chamber of Commerce, is the fastest growing business association in the fastest growing industry in America. I've been working with the MJBA for years and I personally invite you to join the MJBA. MJBA also publishes the popular MJ Headline News on Facebook and the MJNewsNetwork.com and Marijuana Channel One on YouTube. 
Visit mjba.net for more details. I'm here with Diane Goldstein of Leap. Thank you for joining us. Thank you very much, Michael. Now, Leap, Law Enforcement Against Prohibition, if it sounds crazy because it almost sounds like police officers who support legalization, which would be crazy. Well, no, it's not crazy. Our mission clearly states that drug prohibition, any drug prohibition, not just marijuana, has contributed to death, disease, and addiction in our communities. When we prohibit a substance, mm -hmm. an illicit substance, what we've done is we've abdicated control to people who don't care about our communities. So the people who really are in charge of illicit drugs right now and marijuana in states where it's not controlled and regulated is criminals, cartels, drug trafficking organizations that have, uh, you know, that don't have the best interest of our children at our heart or our communities at hearts. They don't care about them. So obviously, a group of people don't understand why law enforcement would support legalization. So you're making Absolutely. that, are you? So what, 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 how, where do you start? Yeah, I, I usually start the conversation with a question. So what's working with the drug war? Are we reducing violent crime? Are we reducing burglaries and, and thefts and robberies? How about addiction? How's that working for you? I think there are some places in, in the states right now having a 300% increase in heroin overdose deaths. It's not working, all right? What's it costing us? And what are we getting from not just what we're spending in dollars, but well, what about human capital? Oh, we have mass incarceration. 2.3 million people behind bars now. And who knows how many million under the control of our parole and probation systems. Let's be clear, LEAP does not advocate for our children to use or consume drugs, but what we also clearly advocate for is that the criminal justice system is much more detrimental to our children's future than if in fact they experimented with drugs. I'm not saying that they should, but today a conviction for any drug offense will ruin our children's lives. Good kids, bad kids, all our children make mistakes. And so why are we ruining our children's future in, in pursuit of an ideological goal that we're never going to achieve, which is establishing a drug-free America? But the main reason, not just me, but many of my law enforcement counterparts are supporting this reform of ending drug prohibition is the violence. I'm from Baltimore. Yep. The past three months have been the most deadly over the past few decades in Baltimore. This last month of July, we had 45 homicides. We only have 620,000 people in our city. Yep, yep. It's not going to improve until we end drug prohibition and we take the money, the power, the influence and control away from our gangs and organized crime. We're not fair, we're not balanced, and we're not even trying. Join us on Higher Ground. 
At Herbie's Cannabis Seeds, we pride ourselves on bringing you the best quality seeds from the world's most respected cannabis seed producers, all at the lowest online prices. You can find Herbie's Seeds at Herbie'sHeadShop.com. All cannabis seeds are sold as souvenirs and as a means of preserving cannabis genetics. Herbie Seeds in no way intends to condone, promote, or incite the use of illegal or controlled substances. We strongly urge all prospective customers to check their national laws prior to placing an order. Herbie's Seeds at Herbie'sHeadShop.com. Proud sponsors of The Russ Belville Show and 420 Radio. Right, this is your captain speaking. If you're trying to take your seats, fasten your seat belts, and we'll begin the conference. This is a complete first for a normal to start conference on time, and and uh, we're really looking forward to an uh, extremely successful uh, conference here. I just remind you though that um, in that context, I just remind you that the uh, first uh, goal that scored at the World Cup, which many of us will probably be watching in the year, perhaps, um, but uh, the first goal was actually an own goal, and that's one of the things which we do not want to score. Uh, here today. What we want to do is to ensure that everyone is uh, facing in the same direction. We do not want to be like the uh, Irish firing squad, form a circle. We are here um, because we all support um, drug law reform. We don't want to um, relitigate the past here. We want to look forward. We want to look to what uh, Colorado, the example that's been provided by Colorado and other other uh, countries, states, and countries around the world. Um, so I'm just asking for everyone to keep that focus, look forward, be positive, uh, and we'll have a great confidence conference. And uh, I'll be full of confidence at the end. Uh, uh, I'm going to call on Gary just to do a few of the housekeeping details. If you are using a microphone, obviously you have to be right up close so you can't hear anything. Gary. That's a passionate lover, lover tender. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. Um, first off, I'd like to tell you where the toilets are. They're just out the door to the mic here. Um, the fire escape is Closer also, to the mic. Mic is right. So the fire escape is also out to the side here. Uh, if there is a fire alarm, we'll be uh, singing out at the power park downstairs, down the, the stairs, not the lift. Um, we'll be breaking for uh, um, a small break at approximately 11.30. Uh, lunch will be at 1. And now's probably a good time to turn your cell phone on. Thank you. Uh, 
Okay, right. Now, the technology allows for silent phones. So, leave them on so that everyone can actually continue to tweet and uh, get the conference live for everyone that's not here. Okay, thank you. I'd like to ask uh, Max Abbott to come forward and uh, do a formal welcome to us. Um, thank you, Max. Uh, where is the ear? Yeah, right, right here. Thank you, Max. Uh, Max has uh, come down from AUT. Um, I you know about his uh, background from your uh, program and that, um, and he'll tell you all about his involvement with uh, uh, drug law reform over the years. Greetings to everybody, and uh, I wish you well for the next day. Uh, I wish you well for the remainder of the day. Um, closer to the mic. Hmm? Closer still? You okay. basically have to. Oh, do you want us to adjust and make it taller for you? Um, so you're going to have to lean down like a hole? Yeah, I'd rather not do that. Basically, need to kiss them off. Do I? Okay, well, that sounds good. Seems like you can see me. Okay, is that better? Yeah, close. A bit closer. Closer still. Sure, they can't just hear me without the bloody thing. Yeah. Yeah. The other equipment. We can hear you, but it's the recording device. Oh, okay. All right, okay. Well, you should have got some more sense of microphone. <laughs> quite, quite weird. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, I don't think so. That's all right. We'll make those. Well, I'm going to have to look at notes and things properly, so um, you'll get a little, you'll lose. That's all good. That's all good. That's cool, bro. This is crazy. Let's get on with it. This is crazy. Anyway, all right. Okay. Well, we've said welcome. Let's go. Got that out of the way. Um, comment was made about looking looking forward, and I think whilst it's incredibly important to look forward, particularly at this point in time, because there have been changes internationally and in this country that actually open things up in a way that I haven't seen in my lifetime. There have been brief periods in the past where there were possibilities, but I think now there's, we're looking at something not just in this country, but globally, where there could be a that's a shift, almost a seismic shift. Um, I've been involved over the years in many social health issues, um, over 20, and I've learned that timing is everything. Um, I'm not wanting to sound overly grandiose. My involvement in a lot of those issues have been cameo performances. The people that have carried it through in the long haul, as indeed many of you people here with uh, cannabis, um, I'm, I'm not one of those. Um, but I have come in from time to time when I felt that something useful could be um, achieved. When you do need all the allies you, you can get. Um, and um, I think this is one of those one of those times. And that's why I've sort of popped my head up again after long many years actually around cannabis issues. I've always been there, but you know, not out there, so to speak. Um, and when Penny Hulse made her comments she was actually pretty much alone in terms of the establishment. Um, and so I did um, support her and continue to do so, um, both publicly and also behind the scenes, uh, where most important work actually gets done. Um, in earlier incarnations, just for the record, for 10 years I was the National Director of the Mental Health Foundation. I was also the President of the World Federation for Mental Health. 
back in my youth. Um, and during that time as the director of the Mental Health Foundation, we were involved in what was referred to as the Great Cannabis Debate 30 years ago. I was a child at the time, of course, but 30 <laughs> years ago. Um, and that was an amazing event. There were over 1,200 people in the uh, Auckland Town Hall. Were any of you there, by the way? Were any of you alive? So anyway, so there was, there were, you know, 1,200 people. They, um, there were also people outside that couldn't get in, including court and police around the entire town hall. Um, I don't think they want to get it, it, was it, it was a televised back then. It wasn't televised. We did have television back then, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, 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 but um, I seem to recall seeing that. Well, yeah, the, certainly there was some television coverage of it, um, but it was broadcast live on the national radio, on the national radio. so um, it had very high visibility. And it, it, it occurred at a time when, again, the political moment was, was right. Um, there'd been some high-profile legal cases. The, the, the incoming Labour government, it was in, it was in 1984, um, the, the, you know, they had this thing about opening the books. They had an economic summit when they first came into office, which she attended. And then they had, and then the Bassett, the Minister of Health at that time, called for the opening of the books on campus. And then very rapidly, they said, oh, no, no, that's not what we meant. We just wanted a discussion about the health aspects. We didn't. Yeah, so, um, and then a number of people who'd spoken up publicly actually got, con got convicted and lost their jobs. Um, Liz, you know, right. Liz was one of them. Yeah. From, um, and he was at the debate, spoke. He wasn't one of the speakers, but from the floor. And Norman was, was uh, well represented there, too. At, at, um, yeah, so it was an interesting time. But I'll just. Um, I just comment, I mean, this, this was the it was a proceeding which I actually edited of that publication, of that of the debate, that's, you know, 30 years ago. Very interesting. I was just looking at the back and I had these things, must be the last time I used this as part of a presentation, and I had to see these things in the back, which I got to use in the presentation. People know what they are? <laughs> <laughs> so I'll leave them here. You might pass them around just to show you what I look. Those that haven't seen them before. <laughs> Hey, what's up, everyone? It's Herb Thrasher, and I've got a bong, and you're listening to 420 Radio. Hey, everybody, it's Radical Russ here from 420 Radio, inviting you to be like me and get your ink done at Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo, Fort Worth's most female-friendly, clean, sterile, awesome tattoo shop. Thomas and his crew are true artists who can design you a custom piece or use a design you bring in. Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo also offers all styles of tattooing as well as piercings and all-around fun. In the DFW area, stop by Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo and tell them Radical Russ sent you. Trust me, it'll feel awesome. We're going to show you how to make magical butter cooking oil in just four easy steps. The ingredients that you'll need for this recipe are 2 to 5 cups of coconut or grapeseed oil, 7 to 28 grams per cup of high-quality botanicals, and 1 tablespoon per cup of lecithin. Before you begin, you must decarboxylate your herbs in order to activate the essential ingredients. Click here to view our video on decarboxylation. Now it's time to add your ingredients to your machine. Start by adding your whole herbs to the pitcher. Pour your cooking oil over your herbs. Finish with your lecithin. Lecithin is a great emulsifier and enriches your extraction. Now, shoot your head back onto your machine. 
For this magical butter recipe, you will set your temperature to 160 degrees Fahrenheit or 71 degrees Celsius, then press the one hour oil button. And that's it. The magical butter machine will mix, stir, grind, and infuse your oil without any hassle. After the cycle is complete, remove the head of the appliance and put on your heat-resistant silicone love glove. Then pour the contents of your pitcher slowly into your purified filter bag, holding it over the container of your choice. Give your filter a gentle squeeze to ensure you get all of that oily goodness. Your freshly made magical butter cooking oil will keep in the refrigerator for three to six months. To see more of our excellent recipes made possible with our magical butter machine, visit MagicalButter.com. You know Herb Thrasher from the Herb Thrasher Flower Hour. Now get ready for Herb Age Designs for the proud cannabis consumer. Herb Age Designs, lifestyle gear for the 420 friendly. Herb Age Designs, we've got frisbee golf discs and durable hemp gear. Herb Age Designs, we've got shot glasses, drinking glasses, coffee mugs, and beer cozies. Check us out on Facebook and online at HerbAgeDesigns.com. And follow Herb Age and Herb Thrasher on Twitter. Hi everyone, I'm Ed McCann, Policy Director for Virginia Normal. I'm here making a video today to ask for your help. We have an amazing and urgent opportunity to remove from office one of the senators who's standing in the way of changing marijuana laws. His name is Senator Bryce Reeves of the 17th District. Senator Reeves not only voted no on the hemp bill, he voted no on allowing epileptic children access to CBD oil, and he's turned his back on constituents simply wanting to discuss the issue. In contrast, his opponent, Ned Galloway, is supportive of decriminalization. He's supportive of medical marijuana, and he's very willing to talk to his constituents about the issue. So to remove Senator Reeves from office, we understand that money talks in politics. We're raising $5,000 this week to donate to Ned Galloway's campaign. We need your help to raise the additional funds. We've already raised $2,000 from many donors, but we need everyone to chip in and show Virginia politicians, the media, uh, that we can make a difference and that our voices are important. Go to normal.org slash normalpac, P-A-C, and donate there. When you're done, share, spread the word on social media. Tell everyone that you've helped contribute to a political campaign in Virginia that is going to make a difference in the, for the marijuana movement and Virginians in general. Use hashtag VA17 and use hashtag just say no because we're just saying no to Bryce Reeves. Again, we need this money this week. This is the last week of the campaign and if we dump $5,000 uh, for Galloway, the media and politicians will definitely take notice and take us very seriously. Please help. I appreciate it. Thank you. It's always 420 on your 24-hour cannabis community radio, 420radio.org. This is Radical Russ encouraging you to take a look at the Weed Blog every day. Johnny Green and the staff at the Weed Blog are on top of all the latest developments in the fight to end marijuana prohibition nationwide. You can even get the Weed Blog on your smartphone by installing the Weed Blog app for iPhone and Android. If it's about weed, it's on the Weed Blog, including my original writing. So don't delay. Read the Weed Blog today. 
the CNN's Republican presidential debate at the Reagan Library here in Simi Valley, California, Simi Valley, California. Many people on social media wanted us to ask about marijuana legalization. Senator Paul, Governor Christie recently said, quote, if you're getting high in Colorado today where marijuana has been legalized, enjoy it until January 2017 because I will enforce the federal laws against marijuana. Will you? I think one of the great problems and what the American people don't like about politics is hypocrisy. People who have one standard for others and not for, them, for themselves. There's at least one prominent example on the stage of someone who says they smoked pot in high school. And yet the people going to, to, to jail for this are poor people, often African Americans and often Hispanics. And yet the rich kids who use drugs aren't. I personally think that this is a crime for which the only victim is the individual. And I think that America has to take a different attitude. I'd like to see more rehabilitation and less incarceration. I'm a fan of the drug courts, which try to direct you back towards work and less time in jail. But the bottom line is the states, we say we like the 10th Amendment until we start talking about this. And I think the federal government's gone too far. I think that the war on drugs has had a racial outcome and really has been something that's really damaged our inner cities. Not only do the drugs damage them, we damage them again by incarcerating them and then preventing them from getting employment over time. So I don't think that the federal government should override the states. I believe in the 10th Amendment, and I really will say that the states are left to themselves. I want to give that, I want to give the person that you call the hypocrite uh, an opportunity to respond. Do you want to identify that person? Well, I think if we left it open, we could see how many people smoke pot in high school. Is there somebody you were specifically thinking of? Well, you know, the thing is... You were talking about me. Yeah, I was talking That's about... That's what I thought, but well, I wanted let, let me, to say it. Well, I wanted to point. make let it me... easier for him, yeah. okay. and I just did. Governor Bush, please. So 40 years ago, I smoked marijuana, uh, and I admit it. I'm sure that other people might have done it and may not want to say it in front of 25 million people. My mom's not happy that I just did. <laughs> That's true. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. We have, we have a serious epidemic of drugs that goes way beyond marijuana. What goes on in Colorado, as far as I'm concerned, that should be a state decision. But if you look at the problem of drugs in this, in this society today, it's a serious problem. Rand, you know this because you're campaigning in New Hampshire, like all of us, and you see the epidemic of heroin, the overdoses of heroin that's taking place. People's families are, are being torn apart. It is appropriate for the government to play a consistent role to be able to provide more treatment, more prevention, we're the state that has the most drug courts across every circuit in, in, in Florida. There are drug courts to give people a second chance. That's the best way to do this. But let, let me respond. The thing is, is that in Florida, Governor Bush campaigned against medical marijuana. That means that a small child like Morgan Hintz that has 500 seizures a day is failing on nine traditional medications, is not allowed to use cannabis oil, and that if they attempt to do that in Florida, they will take the child away, they will put the parents in jail, and that's what that means. If you're against allowing people to use medical marijuana, you'll actually put them in jail. Right, and actually, under the current circumstances, kids who had privilege like you do don't go to jail, but the poor kids in our inner, inner cities go to jail. I don't think that's fair, and I think that we need to acknowledge it, and it is hypocritical to still want to put poor people in jail. I don't want to put and, poor people in jail, Rand. Well, you, you, here's you, the deal. You, you oppose medical Here, marijuana? No, I did not oppose when the legislature passed the bill to deal with that very issue. That's the way to solve this problem. Medical marijuana on the ballot was opened up. It was a, there was a huge loophole. And it was the first step towards getting to a Colorado place. And as a citizen of Florida, I voted no.
But let's, that means you'll put people in jail. I want to go right now. I want to go right now. You brought my issue up. That's true. Go ahead, Christine, please. I enjoyed the interplay. Thank you, gentlemen. I just say this. You know, first off, New Jersey is the first state in the nation that now says if you are a nonviolent, non-dealing drug user, that you don't go to jail for your first offense. You go to mandatory treatment. You see, as Jake, I'm pro-life. And I think you need to be pro-life for more than just the time in the womb. It gets a lot tougher when they get out of the womb. And when they're the 16-year-old drug addict on the floor of the county lockup, that life is just as precious as the life in the womb. And so that's why I'm for rehabilitation, why I think the war on drugs has been a failure. But I'll end with this. That doesn't mean we should be legalizing gateway drugs. And if Senator Paul thinks that the only victim is the person, look at the decrease in productivity, look at the way people get used and move on to other drugs when they use marijuana as a gateway drug. It's not them that are the only victims. Their families are the victims, too. Their children are the victims, too. And their employers are the victims also. And that's why I'll enforce the federal law, while you can still put an emphasis on rehabilitation, which we've done in New yeah, Jersey. Yeah, you may respond, and then I'll bring in you, Ms. Fiorina. Understand what they're saying. If they're going to say we are going to enforce the federal law against what the state law is, they aren't really believing in the Tenth Amendment. Governor Christie would go into Colorado, and if you're breaking any federal law on marijuana, even though the state law allows it, he would put you in jail. If a young mother is trying to give her child cannabis oil for medical marijuana for seizure treatment, he would put her in jail if it violates federal law. I would let Colorado do what the Tenth Amendment says. This power, we were never intended to have crime dealing at the federal level. Crime was supposed to be left to the states. Colorado's made their decision, and I don't want the federal government interfering and putting moms in jail who are simply trying to get medicine for their kids. And, and Senator Paul knows that that's simply not the truth. In New Jersey, we have medical marijuana laws, which I've supported and implemented. This is not medical marijuana. This goes a much further step beyond. This is recreational use of marijuana. This is much different. And so while he'd like to use a sympathetic story to, to back up his point, it doesn't work. I'm not against medical marijuana. We do it in New Jersey. But I am against the recreational use of marijuana. If he wants to change the federal law, get Congress to pass the uh, pass the law to change it and get a president to sign it. May I respond? Yes, Senator Paul. Here's the thing is he doesn't want to make it about medical marijuana, but what if New Jersey's medical marijuana contradicts the federal law? He's saying he will send the federal government in and he will enforce the federal law. That's not consistent with the Tenth Amendment. It's not consistent with states' rights, and it's not consistent with a conservative vision for the country. I don't think we should be sending the federal police in to arrest a mother and separate them from their child for giving a medicine to their child for and, seizures. And Jake, I'm I'm gonna, I want to bring, bring in Ms. Fiorina. I want to bring in Ms. Fiorina on this issue. I very much hope that I am the only person on this stage who can say this, but I know there are millions of Americans out there who will say the same thing. My husband, Frank, and I buried a child to drug addiction. So we must invest more in the treatment of drugs. I agree with Senator Paul. I agree with states' rights. But we are misleading young people when we tell them that marijuana is just like having a beer. It's not. And the marijuana that kids are smoking today is not the same as the marijuana that Jeb Bush smoked 40 years ago. We do. <laughs> Sorry, as as we know. Barbara. We do, need, we do need criminal justice reform. We have the highest incarceration rates in the world. 
Two-thirds of the people in our prisons are there for nonviolent offenses, mostly drug-related. It's clearly not working. But we need to tell young people the truth. Drug addiction is an epidemic, and it is taking too many of our young people. I know this, sadly, from personal experience. Thank you hear what I'd like to... You know Herb Thrasher from the Herb Thrasher Flower Hour. Now get ready for Herb Age Designs for the proud cannabis consumer. Herb Age Designs, lifestyle gear for the 420 friendly. Herb Age Designs, we've got frisbee golf discs and durable hemp gear. Herb Age Designs, we've got shot glasses, drinking glasses, coffee mugs, and beer cozies. Check us out on Facebook and online at HerbAgeDesigns.com. And follow Herb Age and Herb Thrasher on Twitter. Hello. Today is the day after. The day after October 2nd when we were just sentenced. Um, my mom right here, Rhonda Firestack Harvey, uh, to one year and one day in federal prison for following our doctor's orders and using our medical cannabis. Um, I was sentenced. Um, my name is Roland Gregg, and I'm 33 years old, and I was sentenced to 33 months in prison and three years probation, again, for following our doctor's orders. Right now, we start the appeals process. We're going to start um, sharing all of what happened with us, and uh, we're going to need your help. We're asking for your support. This is going to be a long road to the Supreme Court to overturn the prohibition of cannabis at a federal level. Um, to be a rational policy with individual rights, health rights, civil rights, rights to grow on your property. This is all basic, fundamental, logical stuff. Uh, but we need your help. Um, this appeals process costs a lot of money. And now that my mom um, is here by herself, uh, Larry Harvey passed away. And she's got a mortgage to pay. And we've, we've got to take care of things as well as fighting for our freedom. But we're also fighting for your freedom, too, for all of our freedoms. It's this basic, fundamental stuff. And we would love your help. Um, so we're going to be starting a campaign, and if you can donate anything, uh, please, please do. And we will be sharing with you everything we're doing and the appeals process. And Phil Telfion from Equal Justice Under the Law.org, he will be heading up this process. We have a few other firms we're hoping to bring on if we can raise enough money. Um, if you have any connections to celebrities that have a big heart and care about freedom and personal liberties, then please, please help them contact us. Um, Mom... Just can you say something about uh, what you've been through and what we're, what, what we're going through right now, just your feelings on what happened yesterday, and, um, and just let people know that we are going to be going through the appeals process, and, and what are your feelings, Mom? Oh, it was really hard, very hard to see what we have been through for the last three years of pure torture going through this process. And then losing my husband was the hardest ever. <laughs> but we're going to get through this. We will. We have great support, good family. Thanks, Mom. Yeah. So if we could just um, rally together now. It's time to rally. There's no more time to wait. If you can help, please do. And reach out to us at kettlefalls5.com. And um, we love you all and thank you for, for your support so far. Thank you for watching the Activism Hour on 420radio.org. I'm Russ Belville, and I founded 420 Radio intending to provide a public radio platform for the hardworking volunteer activists I meet every month from all across the country and around the world. 
The Activism Hour features videos from the people who make up the grassroots organizations fighting for an end to adult marijuana prohibition. Please learn more about these groups and send them your donations to bring the dream of cannabis freedom to all 50 states and across the globe. You just saw activism videos from the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws at normal.org, Law Enforcement Against Prohibition at leap.cc, Students for Sensible Drug Policy at ssdp.org, The Marijuana Policy Project at mpp.org, Americans for Safe Access at safeaccessnow.org, High Times Magazine at hightimes.com, River Rock, Colorado at riverrockcolorado.com, and magicalbutter.com, makers of the Magical Butter Botanical Extractor. Now, on to the program, and thank you for your support of Marijuana Activism and 420radio.org. Step into the future every Tuesday night with Electric Bob's Boogaloo, our weekly electronic music jam. Electric Bob brings you the latest house, trance, dubstep, and other electronic music from the freshest DJs and producers. It's every Tuesday night at 8 p.m. Pacific with replays weekends at 11 p.m. on 420radio.org. Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. Introducing the YMCA. Sure, you know the Y for a swim or a game of hoops, but we're more than that. We're a cause. When you take a jump shot at the Y, someone else is getting job training. Practice yoga as a team practices her leadership skills. We give people of all ages, incomes, and backgrounds a chance to learn, grow, and thrive. So while you might think of the Y as the place for lifting weights, we're also about lifting entire communities. That's a Y. We're so much more. Visit ymca.net slash more. Six months from now, I'm going to be a dad. So there's one thing I want to change about me right now. I've tried before, but this time I'll do it for me and the baby. I'll quit smoking for good. Most people don't succeed at first. It often takes several tries. The important thing is to never quit on yourself. Visit quitterinu.org.